1: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. And you can see him grinning from ear to ear because it is finally NFC North week here on our summer-long off-season reviews for every single team, division by division. We are doing NFC North today, which is home of EJ's uh, really favorite thing on earth, and that is the Chicago Bears, and I myself is a recent adopted Bears fan. uh, uh, Full disclosure, we're going to be talking a lot of Bears today. I I know we're talking all NFC North teams, but we're talking a lot of Bears because for the first time in a long time, um, good things happened in Chicago sports that that wasn't the Blackhawks. I'm, I'm stunned. So it's going to be a fun episode. Yes, we we have tons of praise to heap on the Lions and the Vikings and the Packers as well. Uh, Well, assuming uh, the Packers don't blow up sometime in the next two weeks, I guess we'll see. But before we get into all that, uh, EJ, buddy, how you doing and what are you drinking?
0: I'm good. It's the middle of summer. Divisional previews are rolling along. Everybody out there is listening, enjoying the content, interacting with it on YouTube. We've had just a crazy high level of engagement. All summer long, which is amazing. And yeah, it's time to talk about the NFC North, which is home territory for sure. And like you said, good things happen. So I'm excited about that. And, you know, other fans in the NFC North have things to look forward to as well. I think Detroit fans are feeling a renewed sense of optimism, which is really cool for them. And uh, what are we drinking? Well, we're going to be talking about a notable quarterback or two today. So I bought a quarterback-themed beer. This is Johnny Utah Pale Ale from Georgetown Brewing right there in Seattle. And as we all know, Johnny Utah. Come on, man, Johnny Utah. Anyways, if you're not <laughs> if you're not catching the Point Break reference, it's okay. Uh, but it's pale ale. It's pretty good. And yeah, fired up for NFC North talk. Um, lots of good storylines. So we'll be here a while. Uh, but we've been looking forward to this one for a while. Fans have been looking forward to this one for a while, and yeah, let's do it.
1: Can I just say that I think we've mentioned Point Break more than literally any other movie on this podcast over the last year plus? Like we're gonna we're, have we're at, to, least, <laughs> at least at least five references. We're gonna have to diversify our either. movie references, but yes, I mean, <laughs> come
0: on, the original Point Break. As long as we don't talk about the remake, which never happened, uh, in my one mind, remake. We're, we're all yeah, exactly, perfect. We're on the same wavelength there. So uh, no, great movie.
1: By the way, um, a ton of good
0: stuff. Oh, what do you have? Yeah, uh,
1: I I, it's nothing fancy. So I forgot to mention it before my my drink today is a uh, accidentally very strong whiskey Coke that I made with Wild Turkey 101 and uh, (laughs) completely misjudged my pour. So it's really more of just like a splash of Coke with a lot of whiskey. We'll see. We'll see how I get through this show. So was not intentional, but your classic colored uh, your
0: caramel colored rum and Coke. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's rum, it's rum, uh, rum, rum, rum.
1: i took rum. about two sips already and i was like oh shit this is gonna be this is gonna, gonna be, be a, a long doozy. episode it's gonna be a doozy uh, of a podcast we'll see i posted on twitter on
0: july 4th uh ninkasi brewing makes a beer called megalodom not megalodon you know playing off the ancient shark's name but they do total domination ipa so it's megalodom it is a 16 ounce beer and it is 10 percent by volume and let me tell you
1: Jesus middle
0: middle of the day when it's hot with not a lot of food, tread lightly. <laughs> you will get stomped.
1: Oh um, yeah. were you able to stand?
0: Uh yeah. Yeah. I I moderately well. did not slam that thing down. I about halfway through I realized because it's like two or three percent off barley wine. I mean it's it's legit, but great beer what and cost great brewing out of out of Eugene.
1: Um, what was that place we went to in Mobile? The was Iron Hand Brewing. Oh yeah, Iron Hand. We're going to be headed back there. We need to tell them we got Senior Bowl dates now, so we need <laughs> to tell Iron Hand that we're
0: going to come back. And I'm actually gonna—I to, uh, haven't told you this—but I'm going to reach out because we were fortunate enough to meet the husband and wife team that own it. Uh-huh. Wife wife runs front of house. Uh, husband is brewmaster and and does all the brewing. And he was incredibly gracious came out told us about all the beers let us try anything we wanted to talked about favorite styles he was he was amazing i'm gonna reach out to him now that we know that we've got a senior bowl that we're gonna go to this year um and see if he won't make us a bootleg beer
1: well i just wonder if it's there. gonna be as, as strong as those stouts because i think it was like 13 <laughs> one or something like that. it was like a chocolate stout that we had that knocked we're me not gonna on make it yeah, we're not going to make it
0: that strong because we want to we want to feed people and have everybody have a good time. But uh, which maybe we'll have an event. Oh, we're going to have hand. a great we'll
1: time see. if we drink those. <laughs> <I'm just saying. laughs>
0: yeah, you think you've got takes now. Uh, so enough with really good things to drink. We've got a bunch of really good football to talk about. And um, the order here is important. We're starting with Chicago uh, in the newspaper business. They say don't bury the lead. The lead in the division in terms of overall change and offseason is Chicago. Chicago started off, for those of you that are not familiar, uh, in a not great place. There was not a lot of hope. They didn't have an answer at quarterback. Uh, The offensive line was meh. And they really were lacking enough assets, everybody thought, to go get a top quarterback prospect. They weren't going to be able to buy one in free agency because they didn't have the cap space. And it didn't look like they were going to be able to draft one because they were they did just well enough to be out of the top of the draft order. Typical Chicago. So (laughs) it was pretty gloomy around Bears land. There was no quarterback in place, no real plan and no real way to get one. And that was not a great place. And then. The miracle occurred and things turned. So we're going to talk about Chicago because it's got to be the biggest offseason swing so far, in the NFC North.
1: If if not the NFL entirely, if we're being honest here. But uh, we'll go through their front office review first things first. Uh, Ryan Pace going into year seven and uh, potentially bought himself a year eight, nine, and ten and beyond with last draft, which we'll get into. Matt Nagy already in year four. I can't believe he's already in year four. Time flies, really. Uh, Sean Desai. Which is now Nagy's third defensive coordinator in those four years, I believe, because I think he had Vic year one, and then, um, uh, and then he had a uh, God why Chuck uh, Pagano years two and three. and Now he's got Sean Desai for year four. He's in his first year, and then Bill Lazor returning as offensive coordinator for year two. Um, I would say the the wild card here, maybe maybe wild card not the right word because I don't necessarily see uh, any sort of chance of failure for Sean Desai. I believe in him a lot. Um, But I think the biggest point of change within the Bears organization, not named Justin Fields, is Sean Desai. Because I think this is a return to the style of defense that made them a Super Bowl favorite back in 2018, Um, compared to what they were doing the last two years with Pagano. I think... Returning to that Vic Fangio style, you know, it's a lot of match quarters. Um, it's a lot of cover three, at least rotations from too high into cover three. Some creative blitzes, but not relying too much on blitzes in terms of bringing second and third level defenders on pressures. It's really more in the vein of creepers or fire zones than just straight up playing man coverage and sending the house at people. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a different defensive style than we've seen the last two years, but it's a return to the one that I think was the best. For this personnel, and so I say, uh, you know, the word wild card, but really, I think it's just the biggest, the biggest point of change or the biggest um, potential impact on this organization, other than the changes at quarterback, is Sean DeSai, defensive coordinator. What's your take on him, and then what's your take on the rest of this front office and staff?
0: Yeah, I was pinning a lot of hopes on DeSai before the Justin Fields acquisition because Sean DeSai is extremely smart. He has been with the Bears organization for six years in a defensive capacity. He was a defensive assistant, and then he was secondary coach. Now he moves up to being a young defensive coordinator, his first time to that level in the NFL. But everyone around the Bears organization respects him. He made it. uh, You don't often see uh, coaches at that level survive a transition between head coaches. He did. Uh, He was kept around when Matt Nagy came on, a guy that Matt Nagy – guy that worked with Brandon Staley, guy that Nagy recognized the potential of, and now has elevated him to the DC role. And it'll be really interesting to see how much of that style he brings versus how much of his own sort of inspiration he adds, because he is, I I haven't met him, but he is by all accounts, extremely sharp um, as a football coach in general, as a defensive mind as well. So I'm excited and was low-key excited about his ascension before, especially for eddie jackson (laughs) eddie jackson Mm -hmm. played much better previously under the style the last couple of years he really hasn't been put in a position to succeed and last year he just flat out didn't play well now you could say chicken or egg it doesn't really matter i think with sean desai ascending having been jackson's position coach knows him better than anybody knows what he does well, better than anybody. And he's going to put him in positions to succeed. And when that happens, Eddie Jackson's a force in the secondary, he's a playmaker that can turn games. And we really haven't seen that for about the last season, season and a half. So that was exciting. The pass rush is going to be where it gets really interesting because uh, Fangio's pass rush is bring four all the time, mm-hmm. almost never blitz. One of the lowest blitz percentages in the NFL and Pagano tend tended to bring more pressure early in the game right and that was exciting when it first happened but it's somewhat predictable he doesn't change it up and the effectiveness went down so he kind of backed off and then it looked a lot more like Fangio's defense I'm really interested to see because Chicago has rush talent Khalil Mack Keem Hicks Goldman's coming back which is not necessarily a rush threat but anchors the middle of your line so you can work around it almost a defensive pin and pull if you want to And I'm really interested to see how he shakes up the rush uh, because we know he's good with the secondary and we, we know he can put those guys in position to succeed. I want to see how he varies up the rush, but um, I'm with you. It's the biggest change, even though he's been there for six years, this is a totally different role for him. And I want to see how quickly he grows. Uh, And there is a maturation. He's got more responsibilities, got more things on his plate. Is that going to be better? Is he going to excel, or is that going to overwhelm? Um,
1: I'm betting on excel, but we'll see. Uh, I would say another interesting point about this staff is I don't think we know yet going into this year who the play caller is going to be. It was kind of there was some back and forth last year on offense between Nagy and Laser, who was responsible for game planning, who was responsible for for play calling the organization itself was just kind of cagey about who was doing what. And I don't really know the reason for that, but I also know that just based on who they had at quarterback last year, I almost feel like it didn't matter uh, who was doing the play calling. It just wasn't going to be successful because you can call the best play in the world. But if you have Mitch Trubisky, who has like a 20% hit rate on passes, 20 plus yards down the field, or if you have Nick Foles that completely eliminates entire sections of your run game because he's not mobile enough to do it. It's only so much you can do about that. So, uh, I am curious to see if Matt Nagy opens up the offense now that he has not just one, but two upgrades at quarterback. Cause remember, Andy Dalton is still better than Nick Foles. He's still better than Mitch Trubisky, regardless of who's starting week one against the Rams. Uh, they have an upgraded quarterback and Andy Dalton can move a little bit too I'm not saying he's anywhere near Justin Fields he's not even anywhere near Mitch Trubisky but he's not as statuesque as say Nick Foles so I'm very curious to see whoever is calling the plays whether it's Nagy or Laser, if they open up the offense and they throw in more zone read you know if they're running some of the stuff that we see, you know, Urban Meyer ran at Ohio state and Florida that also Greg Roman kind of stole and ran in Baltimore, like all the bash stuff that he does with Lamar, um, which fields ran at Ohio state. Like maybe they're going to run some of that with him as a package. Uh, you know, maybe they'll incorporate more bootlegs because they're going to have two guys that can actually run them. I'm really curious to see what they do offensively. Cause now I feel like they have not just one, but two quarterbacks that expand the playbook just by being on the field.
0: Yeah, there's both sides to that. Uh, Matt Nagy has said he's going to call plays this year.
1: I am worried. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay. I'm worried about
0: that, quite frankly, because your argument is completely valid. If you have a quarterback who's not executing, when you drop a play and guys get open and he doesn't hit them, that makes it look like your play didn't work. So you have to contract and adjust. And we saw Nagy do that. We saw him bend to try and make Mitch Trubisky palatable, right? To move things out, to simplify half field reads, A, B, take off. Really simple stuff at an NFL level, which is also predictable for a defense. And there's only so far athleticism is going to take you in Mitch Trubisky's case. There's another piece to that. That is an absolutely valid point and 100% true. But there's also the piece to play calling is a little bit art and a little bit science. And the science part, the drawing up plays, getting guys open, understanding leverages and, and how to exploit defenses, Matt Nagy's very good at. It. He's a very good play designer. Play calling in rhythm in a game with how things are going is different altogether. And he hasn't shown a tremendous amount of skill there. He'll get on a run, and then he'll forget about the run. He will (laughs) call plays that are sort of inexplicable in certain down and distance situations, and it just doesn't feel like he has a rhythm. He finally threw up his hands in desperation and said, Bill Lazer's going to call the plays. Bill Lazor had all the same limitations at quarterback that we're talking about with Matt Nagy, but he was better at stringing together plays in order— at the right time, pulling the right levers and getting some effectiveness. And the Bears offense started to look competent. They didn't roll, but they started to look competent. And then they had that stretch where they had four games in a row over 30 points, which is the first time they'd done that since 96 or something like that. And everybody was like, hey. And then, although it wasn't said, and you're right, it was KG. You could tell when Matt Nagy took the reins back. He's like, hey, it's working now. Give me that. And you started to see the same hiccups in play calling. And that's a that's an experience as a play caller. Yes, there's the effectiveness of what you're drawing up and your personnel, but there's that rhythm. And some guys have it, and some guys don't. And head coaches, offensive coordinators, doesn't really matter. I hope Nagy grows into that second part, because the first part he's great at. His plays are well-designed. You see guys get open. You see Anthony Miller be wide open and not get hit. You see Darnell Mooney bust coverage and... You're like, if he hits that touchdown and everybody thinks very differently about that play. Instead, it was a rollout and a dump off. Okay. But I think laser has a better sense. We saw that in Cincinnati in his stretch there. He was a he was good at that. That Bengals offense rolled, right? He knew when to get which guy involved and and what his quarterback was really comfortable with and you saw that a little bit with the bears and then it kind of got taken away from him And this season matt nagy has said flat out i'm calling the plays." that worries me because he has to rise to laser's level of stringing plays together because he has good plays and now he's got good players maybe that'll make up for it i sure hope so that would be great but there's that piece where you sort of get in the doldrums of the third quarter and you're like matt you haven't run it in 11 plays i know you like the passes you got guys that can it, get it's you some yards. It's red zone
1: for me that like really bothers me with Nagy is red yeah. zone where like there was there were some games last year where it's like going into third quarter, you know, you had Tariq Cohen with more touches inside the five yard line than Dave Montgomery. And it was like or, or, or no, it was either the last year or the uh, You know what the we last call that two as years Bears fans? I kind of blend together. You what? know what we
0: call that? It's too cute. Right? Nagy has a tendency to get cute. Yeah. He, he, he just believes strongly enough in, in maybe it's Cohen, or maybe it's a certain set of pass game or, you know, one side of the field, it doesn't matter. He gets too cute. And laser seems a little bit more neutral about opportunities for guys, levels of the field, run past balance. And he just tends to get a little bit more momentum going offensively. So I hope they can get over that, but I don't disagree. The red zone was not, you look at like Brian Dable, right? Let's take an mm-hmm. example of a great play caller and Brian Dable right now is a great play caller and they dictate to the defense you never get that feel with Nagy especially in the red zone like oh something he's got something for this right you kind of you get two plays that look pretty stock and then oh man now there's pressure now oh it's field goal time okay bummer whereas Dable it's like oh damn that was really nice right you, you just don't get that feeling with Nagy and
1: the Bears uh, well, because Dable, Dable has a remarkable ability to, for lack of a word, just say, fuck it. This isn't working. We're going to do something totally else. Totally agree. And, and, and game planning wise, he'll even look at some defenses and say, going into it, I'm not going to be arrogant. I know this isn't going to work, so I'm not going to do it. You look at the Seahawks game, Bills versus Seahawks. They ran the ball like three times Yep, in the first three quarters combined. You never even like, tried. That's, a, that's an amazing run defense. We suck at running the ball. All we can really do is pass, protect, and throw. So we're going to pass, protect, and throw. That's what we're good at. We're not going to lean into what Seattle's good at. We know they're going to throw a bunch of fire zones at us. So I'm just going to call a whole bunch of go routes that have side adjusts that can turn into curls. If these corners are bailing in fire zone and Josh is going to sit there behind six man protection against fire zone and throw curl routes all damn day. And he did. And they put up like 35 points because Seattle never adjusted. But Dable went into that plan knowing I'm not going to lean into the defensive strengths. I'm going to zig when they zag. And to your point, you know, Nagy, I agree with you on the play designer. The cute stuff when it works is when everybody's like, oh my God, Nagy's a genius. That's why he's coach of the year, which really should have been Vic Fangio's coach of the year, but whatever, you didn't hear it from me. Uh, the cute stuff is great, and they bust it out more in primetime games, I think for a reason, because <laughs> it looks great when it works. And again, I'm not saying that Matt Nagy's a bad coach, but I am saying that he far too often has played into the hands of the other team by trying to get cute, especially in the red zone, especially trying to feed Tariq Cohen, like carries on inside zone inside the five yard line when Dave Montgomery's on the sideline. And I'm like, you're overthinking this. Like just because you think they're only going to play the pass when Tariq Cohen's in the game. So you can try to sneak one in on inside zone. All it takes is one blown block and Tariq Cohen's going down. He's not gonna break an arm tackle. Like it doesn't matter if you if you're trying to think your if you're trying to like outthink the other guys, like they're just gonna laugh at you and and execute. And I don't know. That's that's been my big frustration with Nagy. Is it's it's the the overthinking things, it's the trying too hard to outsmart people rather than just looking at what they're bad at and punishing it. You know, the best coaches punish what the other team is bad at. So hopefully. Now that I think he's going to have more confidence in the quarterback position, he's not going to try to coach too hard, and he's just going to call up good plays and let his guys go execute because now he actually has guys that can do that.
0: Yeah, I hope that's the case. And like you said, a lot of people with Justin Fields' addition especially are overlooking Andy Dalton, and Andy Dalton will bring a modicum of good quarterbacking. He will be in the middle. He will bring you a competent NFL-level quarterback, He's not going to be a great field stretcher. He can be, but again, his percentages aren't going to be tremendous. They're actually not that far off Mitch's in terms of overall hit rate, but his efficiency is better. He has less bad plays and less short plays. uh, But, isn't going to give you the overall variance, right? Because he's not going to take off and pick up 35 yards with his legs like Mitch could. And he's not going to hit that bomb, you know, 45 yards downfield very often anymore at this point of his career. But that doesn't mean he's still not worlds better than anything Chicago had in the quarterback barn last season. So even if it starts off for the first three, four, five weeks with Andy Dalton, we should see a competent... Bears offense and yes I'd like to see Justin Fields take the field as soon as possible but even if that doesn't happen don't panic Chicago fans you should be seeing a more competent quarterbacking and more competent offense in general
1: why don't we talk about that quarterbacking a little bit let's get into a draft review here of all seven Bears draft picks from this year. Justin Fields, round one at 11th overall. Uh, Tevin Jenkins, round two, the seventh pick in round two. Larry Borum, the tackle out of Missouri, uh, all the way down to round five. They did not have any picks in rounds three or four. Uh, they had a trio of sixth rounder with Khalil Herbert, who somehow lasted until the sixth round. Don't ask me why. I have no idea. Daz Newsom, who unfortunately is recovering from a broken collarbone, suffered a few weeks ago now. Uh, talented receiver out of North Carolina. Uh, it seems like every year North Carolina is putting out a receiver in the NFL and just quietly pumping talent into the league. Thomas Graham Jr., uh, corner uh, out of Oregon, who if, if I remember correctly was one of your guys that you liked a lot. Uh, and then uh, Kiaris Tonga, defensive tackle out of BYU uh, in the seventh round, who uh, I think both of us had like fifth or sixth round grades on him and not a seventh round grade. So that's pretty good value as well. Uh, let's start at the top. Justin Fields. We, we've we gone over endlessly like, okay, he shouldn't have been there at the 11th overall pick. We're flabbergasted that he was there. Denver fucked up, in my opinion, and didn't take him. But to be fair to Denver, I'm, I think they still think they're getting Aaron Rodgers. So I can kind of understand it from their side. I think if there was clarity in the Aaron Rodgers situation, we might not even be talking about Justin Fields as a Chicago Bear. I think he might actually be a Denver Bronco they denver has asserted publicly that that is not the case i'm not sure i believe that <laughs> uh but regardless we're i'm not going to rehash the the wildness of justin fields even being there at 11 what i want to talk about is what he brings to the chicago bears and i want to dispel some myths here there was a pre-draft narrative that went around that he was a a, la- a a last in first out kind of guy that the work ethic wasn't there that you know he struggled to read coverage and yada 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 it i and i think i mentioned this on the draft stream i heard about that like a few days before Orlovsky went on tv and and said it and it kind of blew up and then everybody was saying like what what the hell is this story i heard about it Um, as like a third hand type thing of like, Oh, here's what coaches are saying. And they tell somebody who tell somebody who made its way to me. I didn't really believe it because just when I watched the tape, I'm like, this doesn't look like a dude who doesn't care. This doesn't look like a dude who, who is a, a, a last in first out. This doesn't look like a dude who doesn't understand how to read defenses. Like, yeah, the Indiana game was rough. I, I understand that. But Indiana also runs a fucking crazy defense. Like, they throw stuff at you at Indiana that a lot of NFL teams don't do. Like, uh, the wildest pressures you've ever seen. Some stuff that I don't even see some NFL teams running. Not that they couldn't, but just... They <laughs> don't. Like, they just don't. Like, yeah. you know, they're bringing safeties from 20 yards deep as, like, an ad rusher with, like, a six- or seven-man pressure. it's was like, what the fuck? Like, Indiana's weird. It was stuff that he had never seen before. And to be honest, in most games in the NFL, he's not going to see stuff like that either. It's a different kind of defensive meta game. And so I'm not going to look at that game and say, Justin Fields can't read defenses. I'm going to look at that game and say, like, man, he's going to learn some lessons about, how to set protections, how to glance at his hot, um, how to communicate with his center. Like that was not a, oh, he can't do it game. That was a, oh, he's going to learn how to do it game. But even then it was one game. And then people look at the Northwestern game and, 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 and they, they judge him for that one. It's like, well, they ran the ball for like 400 yards. Like he just drove the bus. Like I, you can't look at the Clemson game where he's getting to his third read and and throwing a touchdown 60 yards down the field after breaking his ribs, getting drilled by a helmet in his midsection. You can't look at that game and say he's not tough, he doesn't care, he doesn't want to win, he doesn't know how to read defenses. It doesn't make sense to me. And I'm not disparaging people that were spreading that narrative because they're just saying what they were told. But I'm saying the reason why I didn't come forward with it at the time before them is because I didn't see it. So I wasn't going to go saying that when I'm looking at the film myself, and I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. So I don't know. I just wanted to dispel this myth. Justin Fields, he knows what he's doing. He's a good quarterback.
0: Yeah, you and I talked about it when you heard it. You heard it first. You certainly have more sources in the league than I do. And you said, hey, man, this this is what I heard. And you told me, and to me— having been doing this for over a decade now, it's every code word that there is for this guy's an African-American quarterback. Right. And my advice was, wait, don't, (laughs) don't put that out. Just, just wait. Don't, don't say you do believe it. Don't say you don't believe it. Just wait, because you and I both agreed a lot of that just doesn't show up on film. Now, again, it didn't make sense. It we've said make sense. over and over again that we don't get to see the third behind the curtain. We get to see all the on field stuff, which we both prioritize. This is guys doing what they're going to do at the next level in pads against people that want to hurt them. Like that's that's the acid test. Testing is important. There are thresholds and minimums. And if you meet those, we kind of don't care. Right, Or if there's a reason you had a terrible test, like you're recovering from a motorcycle accident, we're going to factor that in. But then there's that other third. How they are in the locker room, how they are with coaching, how they are as people. We don't really get to see that. Notably, we're both really high on tomorrow and Terry. Right? T'morey and Terry <laughs> went undrafted. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. and Terry went undrafted. We were like, why? Because again, we're prioritizing film on the field. And we said, on the field... He's not undraftable, right? Well, turns out off the field, kind of undraftable. Yeah, and for a reason bit. that was known, and we'll let the legal system do its thing before we well, say Tamari and Terry's not, a good thing or bad thing. Not known by us, but apparently known to teams. Yes, teams absolutely knew that news came out that. They- you know, and the Hawks are a team that's willing to take a chance on folks that have off field issues. They've done it in the past. They will do it in the future. It's something they believe they can overcome with their culture typically, but they're also fine with cutting bait. If it gets to a certain level, that's what happened. He's not a Seahawk anymore. Uh, he's got some legal troubles to work out to say the least. So we don't see that third. So it's possible that some of those things about Justin Fields are true and we don't know it, but from what we see on the field, that was all baloney. It was all smoke also, and mirrors.
1: I do want to say, before I heard the stuff about the work ethic and the, and everything like that, I had heard from people in the Ohio State program that he was consummate professional, great leader, hard worker. So I, part of the reason why I didn't say anything, because I was like, <laughs> I, I'm getting conflicting stories yeah. here, and I trust both sides, like I trust the people that I'm hearing from from both sides. But I was like, I don't, I don't win. I don't win. If I put this out, I was like, I I can only lose because a, it doesn't make sense to me based on what I see on film. He doesn't play like somebody who doesn't care. And B, I already have people giving me conflicting stories as it is. I'm just going to say nothing. Cause it, it just, it, the whole story screamed toxicity to me. And then a few days later when somebody took the bait and then said it on national television, I was like, are you fucking kidding? Like, why? What, our, why are you saying that? Our job is to filter is because there's
0: always conflicting information to different levels and like you said from from sources you can trust. And I've had that situation actually with Bears news. Uh last year with the starting quarterback battle. I got myself in I could have got myself in some serious hot water cuz I had it from a very good source that it was Foles, 100% night before the season started. Source I trust from somebody reputable said, it's Foles. Well, something happened and Trubisky rolled out as a starter. And I was like, oh, geez, I'm really glad I didn't say that because (laughs) I, again, fully trusted the source that said it and and actually don't believe that that wasn't spread around the organization, that Foles was going to be the winner of that competition and start. Something changed. And again, we don't, we're not privy to that. All the stuff with Justin Fields. If you watch the tape, he's incredibly athletic. He's very smart. The idea that he can't get past his first read was sort of, I'll say, needlessly dispelled by everybody from Ben Solak to everybody took a shot at saying, no, 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 Justin Fields can read the field. Uh, Jenkins, everybody that talks about quarterbacks, Quincy Avery, everybody came to Fields' defense and said, this is baloney. You can watch the field. And here he is going from read to read to read. And I will take issue with the Indiana game because I know you broke it down on a live stream. I watched part of that. And when I went back, I ended up watching it again, uh, both because we were watching uh, somebody else. We we're going to talk about an uh, Ohio State offensive line prospect. And I got back into the Indiana game and I watched it because by that point, the narrative was out there that Indiana is Justin Fields, Waterloo. Right. This is his game where he he can't get <laughs> it. done. Waterloo. <laughs> right. And even in the game where people say it's the worst. Right. Indiana was the number one. Northwestern was the number two even in the indiana game if you're looking at college quarterbacks and agreed high level college quarterbacks receive a, a different level of scrutiny even in that game where he had some yeah not great plays he had some banger plays in that game yeah he had yeah. some plays that not almost nobody else can make right trevor the one where, made uh,
1: where the where the dude like bounced off of him yeah and he, and he where he t- plants his base and, yeah he yeah. plants his
0: base and takes a full-on rush in the hip and just Okay, and then goes about his business after a two hundred (laughs) ninety pound defensive lineman bounced off him like that. That's staggering stuff. And it was not the only one. He had sort of an equal handful of, oh, my God, that's a pro level quarterback play. And like, oh, I would have liked to pick up that safety rotation at all. I was going to say quicker, but at all would have been good. (laughs) Right. And so, but that's a learning quarterback. Like you said, that's a young quarterback. And if he's not making any of those positive plays, you look at it and go, okay, I have serious concerns and I don't know what I'm going to go to bat for here. Even in his worst game, I can pull up the Indiana game and go that right there, that right there, that right there, that's a quarterback I want on the field because he's a difference maker. Right. So it wasn't that it was a complete and utter you know, hellscape. It was a really up and down game, but the ups were incredibly bright in that game. And a lot of people overlooked him because he made some boneheaded plays. Justin Fields, extremely talented. Alan Robinson's already said, nope, first in last out. He's already doing it. Yeah. He showed he was at camp two weeks early, right? He, You're getting all that. And he has been nothing but focused since the draft. He of really the top four quarterbacks, is a guy that's not smiling in pictures and is here to take your heart. Right. He looks like that guy. And And most importantly, he already hates the Packers. Yes. That's, (laughs) that's just icing on the cake. But in terms of an evaluation of what one guy has done for the bears fortune, Uh, We talk about this on my other podcast, which is the shirt I'm wearing, Bears Over Beers. Uh, For those of you that don't know or are new to the audience, it's my other podcast where I talk just about the Bears. It's on the Windy City Gridiron channel. And we talked about this. We said, when was the last time the Bears had a quarterback prospect who had the amount of sort of collegiate success and buzz or was as awarded or heralded as Justin Fields? And that guy's name is Johnny Lujak he played in the 1940s he was a two-time national championship player in college he was the headliner of that program he was the golden boy signing at quarterback it was the mid-1940s and since then nobody nobody has had the collegiate success or the draw or the sort of level of attention or quite frankly ability that justin fields has had the answer is he's He is one of, if not the best quarterback prospects that has ever stepped onto the field for Chicago. Day one. Since Jim McMahon, probably. He's better than McMahon was. In terms of what he's accomplished already in his career, he's better than McMahon was. McMahon is a tremendous player. He was a great leader. He was fired. He was nowhere near the passer that Justin Fields is right now coming out of college. Justin Fields is already a much better passer than Jim McMahon.
1: By the way, that that says a lot for how far the game has come in 40 years where Jim McMahon, who was like setting every single record possible at BYU uh, when he was coming out, you look at his production compared to today's stuff, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. When Like back then, back in 1980, or, or I think it was 1980, everybody's like, oh, my God, like I didn't even know this was possible. And now that's just like average. Yeah, it's crazy. No,
0: Justin Fields is the most heralded quarterback prospect since the 1940s for the Chicago Bears. He gives them hope at the game's most important position at a time when you talked about the modern game, where it's more important than ever. We, we both know if you don't have a quarterback – you're not winning this league. Just look back at the look back at the playoffs for the last 3 years, right? Past the wild card round. When it counts. Look at all the teams that made it past the wild card round in the last 3 years. Do they have a quarterback or don't they? And did anybody advance that didn't have a quarterback, a high level quarterback yeah. prospect? And the answer is no they don't. It's always Brady and Rodgers and Dak is getting into that stratosphere. Josh Allen might push his way into that stratosphere, right? But, you know, Drew Brees is going to was there for a long time. Like you're going to see the same guys end up in the postseason because you need a quarterback in this league. That's the way the rules are set up. That's the way the the league is aligned. It's offense. And you got to have a quarterback to trigger it. Chicago didn't. And now they do. And the importance of that cannot be understated or overstated. It's it's so important.
1: And then you look at at who we're pairing Justin Fields with, which was a very talented tackle in round two that also had no right to be there <laughs> in the second round uh, with Tevin Jenkins, who might be the most talented offensive lineman to be drafted by the Bears. <sighs> maybe since Mark Colombo. I mean, I guess you can throw Kyle long in there too, but if we're just talking about tackles, uh, well, I mean, long was Chris Williams.
0: Like, yeah, no long was all about potential and he, he proved it. Like Kyle long became one of the most gifted guards in, in the league. Um, But coming out, he was a projection, right? He was a, I think he can get there. And he did, but Jenkins isn't, I think anything Jenkins has already achieved that level on the field.
1: And, and he's just an absolute monster. And, you know, people had a little bit of reservations about, okay, well, flipping him from right to left, how's that going to work? Well, he's played left tackle before. I'm I'm not really worried about him playing left tackle for them. He'll have to retrain his feet and his hands a little bit, but it's, it's something that he's done before. So over the course of just this summer alone, I think that's why they announced so early on that he was going to be left tackle because they wanted him to just – take only reps at left tackle, train your feet, train your hands. That is your position. That's what you're playing. We're not just going to throw you into camp and have you play right and left and try to figure it out as we go. It's like, Nope, you are a left tackle, which I think is good for his development. Um, When you look at Jenkins physical profile, uh, his RAS score, he is a top 30 tackle prospect in the last three decades. Out of all the, I think it's like eleven or 1,200 tackles to enter the NFL, he is in the top 30 in terms of athleticism score, which combines size, length, the jumps, the 40, everything like that. Like He is a fantastic athlete who also happens to play like a gigantic asshole. (laughs) He is nasty as nasty can be. Just ask Joseph Osai in that Texas game. Uh, Absolutely took his lunch money. He plays with the intentions to hurt people. And I don't mean dirty. I just mean physical. And I think he's an absolutely uh, perfect tone setter for what the Chicago Bears want their offensive line to be. I feel like they've been a little bit more finesse than physicality over the last few years. And Tevin Jenkins is a guy who I think can kind of uh, uh, change that to being more towards the middle of that spectrum where it's like, yeah, we can, we can wall you off. We, we can do all the, the outside zone stuff where we're just getting in the way or we can run duo and just bury your ass. Like that was not something that they were great at doing before is just lining up and burying you. With Tevin Jenkins, they can actually do that. They don't have to rely so much on just like, oh, well, we're gonna run outside zone and have David Montgomery pick his hole and cut off of it. So I think he, he expands their run game Because of his talent, he improves their pass protection because of his talent. I have no idea why he was there in the top of the second round, but I'm glad he was because, as I said, I think he is the most talented offensive tackle the Bears have gotten on their roster since probably Mark Colombo 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, he's a physical force. The move to left worries me a little bit, not because he hasn't played left before. He has. He has a couple of games at left. He's a tremendous athlete, but it is a move. You ask any offensive lineman going from right to left, I don't care if you're a guard or a tackle, um, they'll they'll say a variety of things, like if they're being polite, which, you know, you got to catch an offensive lineman on the right day to have them be polite, they'll say it's like eating with the other hand. Um, if you catch them in unguarded moments, they'll say it's like doing something else with the other hand. Uh, it just <laughs> takes a while to learn. Um, and, you know, there will be growing pains uh, I, he's not going to be all pro right out of the gate, right? He's got lessons to learn just like any rookie has lessons to learn. And he's, it's magnified because he also has the position switch from left to right. Do I think he can be a good left tackle? Yes. He has all the things he needs to be a good left tackle to be even possibly a great left tackle. And yeah, he's going to own some guys. Uh, some folks are going to be surprised the same way they were surprised when they went after Tristan Wirfs physically, right? he Tristan Wirfs turned some guys around and put them on their back last year and, and Jenkins is going to do the same thing not everybody but there there'll be a couple people that comes off because they think he's a rookie and he's going to show them what for that's that's gonna happen and I'm excited about that because that's fun to watch uh because he doesn't play dirty but he will absolutely turn you over and roll on top of you because that's what he wants to do on every play and he's capable of it so again If you'd told me that the Bears would come out of the first two rounds with Fields and Jenkins without mortgaging like crazy amounts of future assets, I would have said, you're insane. There's no way. Those are two top probably 15 or 18 players in the draft and you're telling me they get them both and they didn't have to sell the farm? Nah. And they did it. And that's you can say what you want about Ryan Pace. And I've said a great many things about Ryan Pace that have not been terribly flattering. He lucked into fields, but then he went and got Jenkins and he, say what you want. He came out of the draft with fields and Jenkins, and that's two top 18 players that he got for much less than that.
1: And, you know, Borum out of Mizzou is no slouch either. You know, he got Khalil Herbert, who is one of my four favorite running backs in this class all the way in the sixth round who probably fell just because he was seen as kind of a one-year wonder as a transfer to VT. He was a fifth-year fifth senior, so he's got some tread on the tires or tread worn down from the tires, I should say. Uh, you know, you got Daz Newsom, who's going to be your wide receiver five, maybe, you know, unless he's on practice squad because of the collarbone thing. Um, yep. Wouldn't be surprised if he's an IR stash because of that because they're not – right now, in my opinion, because of Mooney's emergence, they're not really, like, hurting for a wide receiver. so I wouldn't be surprised if they stash him. You know, Graham in the sixth was a value pick. Tonga in the seventh was a value pick. Like This, I think, was uh, assuming the top two guys work out like we think they're going to. This is not just Ryan Pace's best draft ever. This is the draft that I think can, can transform the Bears as an organization for the next 10 to 15 years and, and Pace, for as much as you and I talk shit on him for the last two years, he deserves credit for that. He deserves credit for kind of pulling the rabbit out of the hat. Uh, you know, he there was a little bit of luck involved because guys had to fall, but he made for moves sure. where he needed to. He he got aggressive when there were opportunities to get aggressive. Thank God, both of the corners went at eight and nine, so the so the <laughs> Cowboys got out of there. Um, you know, he he got lucky, but he capitalized on that luck, and I think he uh, he deserves to be commended for that. Uh, I do want to talk about their UDFA class. They brought in 19 of them. Yeah,
0: I got to tell a 19. Somerville
1: story first, though, okay, before we forward. get off the draft. So Sam
0: Somerville is a Southeast Area scout for the Bears. So if you've followed the Bears for any amount of time, guys like, well, anybody out of Georgia, right? So he was he was the guy that scouted Roquan. He was the guy that scouted Eddie Goldman. He was the guy that scouted Tariq Cohen. Like Sam's had a great run. And when you and I met at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, I was at weigh-in. You weren't quite there yet. Things were warming up. And and uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, weigh-in is a thing where they walk across the stage and they get all their measurements and they announce them. And teams sit together, right? Scouting staffs from entire teams come in, take a section. And there's the Bears section. I walk by and it's right there. And there's Sam shooting the shit with a bunch of guys. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk up. I've been a fan of his work for a long time. Sam couldn't have been nicer took some time with me Event hadn't started yet i said hey this is who i am a fan of your work super gracious guy and i said because i swear i swear that i'd read that the bears had promoted him and i said congratulations on your promotion and in one of the most embarrassing moments of my life he says what (laughs) and i was like oh my god i uh, I did mm, didn't you get promoted he's like no, news to me. It'd be great. I'd love it if they did. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> so I just put my foot directly in my mouth. Turns out I was oh, just no. two years early, Sam. They just promoted him yesterday from Southeast area scout to lead national scout for the bears. So congratulations to Sam Somerville. I, I had the news first. I was, I had the breaking <laughs> story. I was two years early. Oh, uh, it was crushing. But again, he was incredibly gracious and didn't grill me for it. He, he well could have, but Congratulations to Sam. He's been a pipeline of talent into the Bears organization. Well-deserved promotion to National Scout yesterday. A bunch of other movement in their personnel, uh, but I think they're well-positioned with Sam in the National Scout role because, again, the Southeast packed with talent, obviously the SEC. um, But, you know, little schools, North Carolina and t for Tariq Cohen. He'll turn the rocks over and find the guys. And with him in the lead at National Scout, I think the Bears are going to continue to have drafts uh, that look like this. And one thing about Graham, uh, Thomas Graham Jr. from Oregon, one of my guys, like you said, that I liked has inside and outside versatility played outside and played some slot for Oregon kind of, um, equally. And he's like five ten and a half, and a half. So he, he doesn't have prototype size, but he plays very tough and he's, he's filled out. Um, he's got the strength to play outside. So it, you know, not a, not a sure thing with outside, corner depth in Chicago right now with Kyle Fuller moving on. Um, it's possible that he could take some reps <laughs> moving on. Yeah. We'll, don't we'll call start. it that. Don't, don't start. <laughs> I'm having a good day. We're talking about Justin Fields and Tevin Jenkins. Don't bring up the fourth floor. Thing. Anyways, just when
1: we were nice to Ryan Pace.
0: <laughs> I know, no, but Graham jr. Is actually a guy that has a pretty good shot at stepping into the nickel competition, the slot competition. Cause they have Duke Shelley and they have Kendall Wilder, who we saw at the senior bowl. Um, as guys competing, they have a little bit more experience, but Graham's got some real talent and I wouldn't rule him out as being a guy that could come in and start at nickel, which is a tough transition for a rookie. But again, he's got versatility. If they have an injury outside, I wouldn't be surprised as he, him being one of the first guys, uh, that they slide outside after the veterans, because they will perfect segue. We'll talk about UDFA's and then go on to free agency. Cause they did add some corners, but I think Graham is a sort of in the sixth, that's a tremendous value. And with, with Goldman's status, not being sure Tonga was a, was a great ad. Looks like Eddie Goldman is absolutely coming back now. He said he will report to camp. That's great news. Tonga can learn behind him, but Eddie Goldman opted out last year because of COVID. It definitely changed the defense, not having that run stopper in the middle. So Go ahead, take a flyer in the seventh, get a guy that's a two-gapper that that can is super athletic in that role and, and can be there, um, even as a solid backup because they let uh, John Jacobs go. So the Bears needed some some girth there, and to get those kind of picks in the sixth and seventh round is how you build teams, how you build rosters.
1: Well, well speaking of those UDFAs that you just mentioned, uh, just a, a boatload of them. I'll roll through a little bit of the list real quick here. you got Thomas Schaefer. Uh, from Stanford, Charles Snowden from Virginia, Sam Kamara, or possibly Kamara from Stony Brook, Uh, CJ Marable from Coastal Carolina, Caleb Johnson from Houston Baptist, Deron Parker from Mississippi State, Gunnar Vogel from Northwestern, Gage Cervenka from Clemson, Daniel Archibong from Temple, Scooter Harrington from also Stanford, Khalil McLean from Troy, Deontay Ruffin from Western Kentucky, and uh, God... This is nineteen of them, so I don't even know if I'll be able to fit all of them on screen, to be perfectly honest. But I do want to talk about one in <laughs> particular, which I know is I know that you knew who I was gonna talk to before I even for sure. talk about before I even talk about, him. Charles Snowden is really the guy I want to hit on. Out of everybody on this list, even if only one of them made the team, I think it's gonna be Charles Snowden. I think more than one will make the team, but If I had to choose one, it's Charles Snowden, because he plays a role that none of the other edge guys on this team play. And that's somebody who can go backwards just as much as he goes forward. He's really, uh, I don't want to say that he's a Leonard Floyd clone. But I think that he has a similar type of skill set, and the only reason he went undrafted is because he's coming back from a rather severe leg injury, and because of COVID and limited limited medicals and no combine and all that kind of shit, he fell. That happened to a lot of guys this year. Unfortunate luck of the draw for him. But when you look at him and, and how he was playing at Virginia, as an edge defender it was a very similar kind of role to what leonard floyd does is he a dominant pass rusher no but he's capable but the fact that he is competent in dropping he's competent in reading patterns and picking up receivers he's he's able to get to just the right spot and just be in the right spot and use his length he's like six 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 seven extremely long arms just be an obstacle out there in coverage, and it's going to be hard to throw around you, just like with Leonard Floyd, who's tall and long and all and lanky and all that kind of stuff. Um, and not to mention, he's a really, really high-effort run defender. He's great in pursuit from the backside as well. Um, I really like Charles Snowden, so the fact that they don't have anybody else that I really feel comfortable putting as that Sam linebacker that can – competently pick up receivers in space he's gonna make the team I'd be stunned if he doesn't make the team uh and I and he should be recovered from his ankle by now so I think he's okay medically but if he's not on the roster week one I really think that significantly changes what the defense is doing because uh, nobody else on this team I think can kind of be that Leonard Floyd type player Yeah, Snowden was a
0: fascinating and divisive guy to study in this draft because he just really isn't like anybody else. He's got a massive frame. He's almost 6'7", huge wingspan, not super well filled out. He's he's sort of wider than he is thick if you turn him sideways. Um, Plays with a lot of effort, Uh, you said, versus the run, and he uses that length against the run to get angles on guys, push – push offensive linemen back inside sort of crush the angle compact running lanes for backs he can move he's definitely tight hipped um at that side he's not super fluid but again his strength is getting back and just kind of starring out putting those hands up and being somebody you don't want uh to have in your passing lane not a guy that has bend or a ton of burst he has burst it's really sort of in a linear way so he's got all these sort of varied skills they don't really come together and it's like what do you do with that guy and the answer is you know you need to be creative with him but he has these skills and if you leverage them the best teams take those they're not one trick ponies, but they're, they're folks with, let's just say limited bandwidth who are really good at a few things and not so great at other things. And they make sure that they put them in the positions, much like you said, Khalil Mack, you don't want him dropping into coverage 15 or 20 times a game, because that's not using him for what he's best at. Good coach is going to take a guy like Mack, run him forward, take a guy like Snowden and say, you're going to be my wild card. You're going to do some different things. You might be edge contain. You might be dropping back and sort of holding on to the tight end right. And he's got that ability. So fascinating guy. Uh, we'll see where he fits on the roster of everybody else. There's no real standouts. I'm not super wild about the bears UDFA class. Not one of those classes I look at and say, man, you got this guy and that guy and this guy that all should have been drafted. Um, the only other one that I really have my eye on is gauge from Clemson. Um, you know, uh, had a very good career at Clemson, a lot of experience uh playing against top competition. Bears could use some interior offensive line depth. We'll we'll see how he does. Um, but yeah, Snowden is definitely the headliner, and there's not a lot else there. CJ Maribel from Coastal Carolina as a running back. Normally, I would like him, his addition quite a bit. He comes into a now crowded running back room because they got Khalil Herbert late. They brought in Damian Williams. Uh, David Montgomery is looking faster than ever. Uh, Tariq Cohen's coming back is going to be healthy. All of a sudden, it's kind of a stacked running back room that's like four deep. And you're like, okay, so where does C.J. Marable fit? Because he's not a return specialist necessarily. They have more wide receivers that are sort of fit in that role. So you sort of say, what's his path of playing time? And it doesn't look great. Good player. Um, just the fits, not tremendous. And the rest of the guys, mostly just guys. I know some folks are excited about Scooter Harrington out of Stanford. He was their second tight end. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to be competing for that special teams role, sort of third, maybe fourth tight end if you're going to carry it. Nobody else really excites, but uh, Snowden's fascinating. How are they going to use him? Marable's good, but probably won't see the field all that often. And the rest of the guys, nobody
1: that's, nobody that's making me lose sleep. Uh, why don't we move to their vetted veteran, excuse me, free agency pickups. Uh, a few names that I found really intriguing, uh, brought in Des Trufant, uh, 31 year old corner from Detroit on his third team now, uh, in three years, I think, I think Trufant was only in Detroit for a year, if I remember correctly, right. From the, from that trade, um, so he's in Chicago now, presumably playing across from Jalen Johnson, while there's that competition between Vilder uh, uh, and Shelly for nickel. Vilder might play outside across from Jalen. I tend to think that Trufant would win that job. So just my gut instinct. I, again, I know there's, there's buzz about... Vilder being an inside outside guy. Eh, I don't know if I believe that, but we'll see. A lot of uh, people so saying
0: brought... it, but Vilder, we saw him at the senior bowl. He is a power pack. He is aggressive. He reminds me of Elijah Molden in play style, right? He is aggressive. He will shoot gaps and all that, but he is not tall. <laughs> you, you no, stack him up against a 6'2", 6'3", wide receiver that he's gonna see plenty of in the NFC North. That's a mismatch. Quarterback. Yeah, are you go put
1: you put him on Jefferson or Thielen or Devontae... No, <laughs> I just, I, no, I, I don't want that. No, no, so thank they you. They brought <laughs> in, they brought in Trufant, I think, to kind of take that role for him outside. Uh, one of the underrated signings I really like was Mike Pennell coming over from Kansas City. Uh, I don't want to say he's redundant when I look at the other guys in their defensive line rotation with the Keem and Nichols and Edwards and, uh, you know, Eddie. Uh, you know, they, they just got Tonga. He's another one of these guys where it's like, is he a three tech? Is he a five tech? Could you put him at cock nose? The answer is yes. Yeah, He's all those things. I see
0: Pennell (laughs) as an Urban replacement. I was sad when Brent Urban moved on because he played above his level. He was a down eater and more. He made at least one play a game. He was one of those, you know, high effort and in the right place guys. He was going to be on his assignment. And once or twice a game, he was going to wreck something in a good way. And... I was sorry to see him move on. I understood why he did, but Pennell I see more as like an urban replacement, right? He's going to be a down eater. He's going to be that guy that's going to come in and play significant snaps, but always behind somebody else and just do his job. He's assignment sound.
1: But now you know they got six of those guys now, so I have no qualms about them. Them basically just running hockey lines at this point <laughs> and just constantly keeping them fresh, especially Akeem at this point in his career. You don't need Akeem playing ninety percent of the snaps when you have Pennell and Eddie and Bilal and, and Edwards, who's a really good player, and you got Tonga as the young guy coming in. Like you don't need it now. Now Akeem is you're you're putting Akeem in the game in like high leverage situations, you know, second and ten for pass rush, uh, you know, third and short, goal line, all that kind of stuff. Like you you don't need Akeem to be in there. All the time, you just need him to be almost like how Philly uses Fletcher Cox at this point, where it's like, we know he's the star. We know he's the gold standard for defensive tackles. We're not going to run him ragged. We got other dudes. That's kind of, if there's a way to justify the penal signing, it's that. It's it's being able to keep the first line fresh. Um, Now, they also brought in uh, Elijah Wilkinson. They brought in Christian Jones, also from Detroit on a one-year deal probably won't start i'm assuming i I, he's a backup at best i think probably a special teams guy jeremiah tauchu i also don't think he's going to start uh that'll still probably be khalil and quinn and then snowden getting reps in certain stuff when like uh, snowden in base quinn and nickel i think is is how it's going to go uh damien williams from the chiefs because how many running backs do you really need apparently all of them uh, Andy Dalton was the most expensive signing and also the one that might not even play, God willing. And that's nothing against Dalton. I just really want Justin Fields on the field. Um, and then to round it out, you got Jake Butt, whose career uh, unfortunately has not. Oh, and you also had Marquise Goodwin and Demir Bird. God, how many like, the, sub five, how many sub five, 11 receivers about. that run four, three do they have on
0: this team? So I <laughs> I think people are sleeping on Marquise Goodwin and Demir Bird. Demir Bird was one of those guys, as I was watching all the games last year, that even though the Patriots team struggled a lot, made plays. And a lot of New England fans say, yeah, he wasn't consistent. He, wasn't. he made flashy plays. He's not your wide receiver one. He's not your wide receiver two. He's probably not even your wide receiver three, but he can be a very effective four. And there are a lot of four wide receiver sets. He can stretch the field. He's a burner. And he's got a big play knack. Goodwin is the same. Super fast, competing in the Olympic trials was an Olympic sprinter level at Texas when he was there. A sneaky guy that's had, again, impact in places that he's gone. So here's two guys that you weren't too sure about what Anthony Miller's future was going to be. There was some talk about him being moved. You're really sure that you've got Mooney and pretty sure (laughs) that you had A-Rob. That looks pretty secure now. So those are your top two. Miller looks like he's going to have that chance to compete at three but now you've got goodwin and bird as options for four like chicago has lacked a field stretcher right and in the past when they've had one the johnny Knoxes of the world right they've had some fun offenses and both goodwin and bird have legit like low 4-4 high 4-3 speed and that's going to give Chicago some options at wide receiver. Forget Daz Newsom, who eventually will come back and, and played a, a deep threat role at North Carolina. These are two guys that are, you know, season pros, uh, Goodwin certainly more than Bird, but who have experience at the pro level and have demonstrated that ability that Chicago is really lacking. And I see people sleeping on both of them. Like they don't even mention them in the receiver rotation. And those guys, look, they're not going to be 800, 900 yard guys. That's not what they're here for. They're here to be 450 to maybe 500 yard guys on a, on a good year with three or four touchdowns. And they are going to stretch the field, pull safeties, open stuff up underneath for Allen Robinson. That's their job. They're can openers and both of them can do it really well. And almost nobody's talking about them.
1: So I just find it hilarious that uh, I'm looking at the receiver depth chart now between Darnell Mooney, Demir Byrd, Anthony Miller, uh, and Marquise Goodwin. They now have four guys that are 5'10 or shorter mm-hmm. that run sub 4'4. Four, four. <laughs> they have four of them.
0: They're but stacking that, speed on their receiver. It's court, crazy.
1: Robinson's not that guy. And
0: Adam um, Oshu is a guy that I loved coming out of Georgia Tech. He never really ascended but he is that athletic outside linebacker that you can do some interesting things with. I've I've kind of low key hopes for him playing an interesting role in the defense. I think he'll play just because of experience before Snowden in that role. And Damian Williams. Yeah, we can make jokes about him stacking running backs, but last year they had none. It was Montgomery and Cohen, and that was largely it. Cohen got hurt and Montgomery was pretty much it. It was, you know, him and Cordero Patterson. And as for running back, so they needed a good RB two. They didn't know they were going to get Khalil Herbert. They signed Williams before that. And Williams is a guy coming off a year worth of rest who was pretty effective in Kansas City. An ideal signing, and they got him for almost nothing. Um, so I'm I'm all about that. That's a sort of I'll give Ryan Pace the green stamp on Damian Williams because they needed it. They filled it with a guy who was very competent and cheap um, and coming off a year of rest, which is huge for a running back. Jake Butt, we talked about. I uh, actually reached out to a guy we met at the Senior Bowl, Jeffrey Essery, who covers the Broncos, and was like, "Whatever happened to Jake Butt? I really liked him." He said he never could get the knee healthy. Right? He just—that's the reason that Denver eventually let him go. And then, like two months later, like that's a trial signing. That's that's you know, come on in. You know, you had a lot of potential. We had a great grade on you. We understand that your knee is tuna fish. Let's see where you're at and whether or not you play a role for us. But um, yeah, it, he confirmed that it's just pure injury. Like it's not a talent thing. He he tore his knee up and he just never got right. He was never able to overcome it. So I hope he's able to resume some part of his career, but um, I wouldn't, that's not one I would hold my breath for. Uh,
1: and he's an unfortunate tale. And he's also the one that a lot of people hold up for why you don't play in bowl games. If you're going to be yep. a top 50 pick. And we can argue another day about the merits of that. Should you play? Should you not play? There's a lot of players, realistically, that look at Jake Butt and say, I don't want to be that, you know. Yeah. And it's completely understandable. Uh, why don't we move on to team number two, because we are an hour and 10 minutes into this podcast. at this. But point. we knew that there was <laughs> going to be a Chicago bias here and we're OK with that. We knew, we knew going into it, and so did our listeners at this point. I, I have to think, but why don't we get into the Detroit Lions here? I'll start off with uh, our, our front office and coaching review. You know, we've talked about them quite a little bit in the off season. Um, you know, looking at you know our favorite UDFA classes, our favorite draft classes. Period. So, uh, I'm sure a lot of people are tired of hearing us praise the Lions, but we're going to do it one more time. So, stick Tough. with us. Uh, Brad Holmes in year one. Uh, Dan Campbell also in year one. Uh, and then we have Deuce Staley as the assistant head coach and RB coach. Uh, Anthony Lynn also cut his teeth as a running back coach coming over as the offensive coordinator. He's in his first year. He actually was going to take a break from football this year, but decided against it, had a lot of buddies uh, on that Lions staff and he wanted to go join his friends and, and, you know, try to revive, uh, the Lions franchise, and and you know he believes in what Dan Campbell's building. He believes in Brad Holmes as a GM, so he's like, screw it, I'm going to come be your offensive coordinator. And then we got Aaron Glenn, uh, who has been a fantastic DB coach for many many years now. Uh, all these guys in their first year, there's there's no you know major holdovers like we see sometimes. Um, it is a is a fresh slate. A lot of guys in roles that they haven't been in before. But just kind of judging by the their first off together so far, what they've done, I have a lot of um, excitement for what the Lions are building. I feel like all of these guys are on the same page in terms of what they want their identity to be, which is toughness, 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 dominating the line of scrimmage, um, you know, having complementary football. And, and just kind of overall being the more physical team. like They, they truly are taking that Nick Saban approach, and, and this is one of my favorite Nick Saban quotes, which is, boxing has weight classes for a reason. You always want to be the heaviest team, and, and that's certainly what Detroit is emulating, is they, they don't want anybody to be in their weight class, <laughs> and they're, they're really taking that to heart. So I, I love what Brad Holmes has done. I love the energy that Dan Campbell's brought. I love that they gave Deuce Staley a chance Um, and I, I really like their coordinators with Anthony Lynn and Aaron Glenn. I have no complaints here, even though it's, it's all their first year together. I'm, I'm stoked to see what this staff does. I'm really excited about Detroit. And I don't say that very often. (laughs) Like the
0: lions have been (laughs) the laughingstock of the division for a long time. And rightfully so they have not had that mesh that is critical between front office coaching staff, general manager, like that we have the same vision, we're executing, we're getting the players that the coaches know how to use and want. They've sort of been dumping disparate parts in a pot and stirring, and it just hasn't worked out. And that's been really rough for Detroit fans. I understand that. And having Matt Patricia and his staff go on, getting a clean sweep at general manager, and getting someone in Brad Holmes that is apparently extremely competent, we'll talk about what he did in the draft and in UDFA, and in free agency. And then this is a very strong coaching staff. All the attention's going to be focused on Dan Campbell because he's new. He's fiery. He says things like biting kneecaps and everybody pays attention to it. But then you look at who he's got supporting him and it's Deuce Staley. Talked about him. Anthony Lynn, former head coach, now doing the offensive coordinator. And Aaron Glenn, who's the guy I'm probably the most excited about because Detroit has lacked an identity on defense, which is weird because Patricia was brought in as a defensive head coach and never really just kind of was able to establish his system or vision effectively. They have a bunch of good players because being a poor team, they've had a bunch of high draft picks. They've invested a bunch of those in defensive players and they haven't been able to maximize them. Guys like Jeff Akuda, who we both scouted and said, this guy is a knockdown number one, a alpha corner, right? He is a great boundary corner. He comes in as a rookie and looks lost. He looked terrible last year. In fact, he was outplayed by other corners who we like on the roster. Aaron Glenn's, for lack of a better term, not going to have that. He's just not going to put up with that. That's not going to happen. He is a skilled uh, coach whose resume, not all that different in terms of the last five or six years than Sean Desai, right? Focusing on the secondary, on the defensive side of the ball, very smart Super tough as a player. Uh, Ages me a bit because I remember watching him in college. Er, That's bad. He's a coach now. It's not that he's retiring because these are the stages you go through, right? The guys getting drafted
1: are my age, then those guys are retiring. Oh, how do you feel? I watch it, like seeing D'Amico Ryan's be a DC now. I'm like, Jesus Christ, already? Don't, (laughs) don't start (laughs) because I'm watching players who I watched kids become
0: coaches. Mm, (laughs) That one's rough. Anyways, Aaron Glenn, extremely talented, was great as a player, seems as good or maybe even better as a coach, quiet guy, but is going to instill excellence in that defense. There are a few players short on defense. They had a great draft. We'll talk about that. Great UDFA, mostly focusing on the offense. They're going to be competent this year. They're not going to be an easy out. And by next year, they're not going to be somebody you want to play on defense is what I'm betting. When they get their players, their personnel and their system gelling and Aaron Glenn's running that, I believe he's eventually going to get some head coach buzz um, because I think he's that good. So that layer under Campbell, I know Campbell gets all the headlines because he's kind of goofy or, or, or just super energetic, however you want to look at it, uh, toughness first, whatever coach. You look at the guys he's got underneath him, and that is a very strong supporting cast for a first-year head coach, and Brad Holmes has filled the cupboard as completely as he possibly could in one cycle. It's, it's a clean sweep for Detroit, and it's a good
1: one. Let's take a look at uh, the Lions draft real quick here because, I, again, I, I think it kind of hits on all the themes that we've already touched on, of just physicality dominating the line of scrimmage. you got Penny Sewell at seventh overall. I don't really think anybody can argue with that one. Uh, probably one of the most physically gifted tackles we've seen come out of college in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, he's up there with you know the, the Trent Williamses, the, the Larrabee Tunsels. Just somebody that can move that well, not just at, at his height, but at his his weight. Like you know, a three thirty plus tackle that that can move in space like him is just flat out rare. Uh, Levi Almuzarike, who's somebody that I thought very well could have been a first round pick. He was my favorite defensive tackle in this class. I kind of had a you know a one A and one B with him and Barmore. It's just kind of depending on the play style you were looking for. Uh, for me, Levi is a better penetrator, a little bit quicker. Uh, I see him, I'm not saying he's Chris Jones, but I think it's a similar style of play, a similar skill set. but he's better at the point of attack than Chris Jones was when he, when he was coming out of Mississippi state. I think Levi's kind of a better stack and shed guy. And the fact that they did so much three down stuff at Washington and had three on five and basically said, okay, you guys go stop the run. And he was able to do it. Uh, I think is a testament to how, how strong he is. Uh, Aleem McNeil built like a nose tackle, but he plays like a three tech, which is kind of an in- interesting guy. So I think he's somebody that you can kind of flex between, you know, playing a shade nose to a three technique and, and probably be fine. In terms of where they're going to put Levi and Aleem together, not entirely sure. But again, they, they have versatility to put them in a variety of positions. So I, I think they'll figure it out. Uh, Ifiatu Melifonwu. Did we ever hear why he went in the third round? Because that one didn't really make sense to me. When you look at his talent, his explosiveness, his size, his physicality as a tackler, I thought he very well could have been a first-round pick as well. Uh, it's it's hard to find a corner that size that moves like that, that also is willing to tackle like that. I don't want. I don't know if you want to make make him a safety, make him a corner. I don't really care. I think he can be uh, almost like a Kareem Jackson type guy to me, who. Yeah, he can have success at corner, but he can also have a lot of success at safety. Why he went in the third round, I have no idea. Maybe it's a medical thing, I don't know, but that was just a pure value pick to me. Amon Ross St. Brown in the fourth round, the ideal slot receiver. Uh, I think it was our buddy Mark Schofield that compared him to Julian Edelman, if I remember correctly. And that immediately clicked in my head. I was like, that's correct. That's who he is. He's... He's very Julian Edelman-ish. When you look at the toughness, the route running ability, the ball skills, it's a a very similar skill set. Derek Barnes, who you and I both love, especially as a fourth-round pick, is just a big, hulking, uh, almost Dante Hightower-ish profile. Again, I'm not saying he's Hightower. Hightower is one of the best linebackers of his generation. I'm just trying to give a picture of size and skill set here. But having a Mike linebacker, that can also line up as an edge rusher. That can also take on a guard. Uh, you know, if you're lining him up, basically head over a guard and say, "Okay, basically be a stand-up three technique for us," which is what Dante Hightower does for the Patriots all the time. Uh, and do it. You know, he's two two 250, strong as an ox, not super loose in the hips. So you don't want him covering that much, just like you don't want Dante Hightower covering that much. But in terms of the front versatility. That he provides you, the fact that you can put him basically up and down the line and at linebacker and be totally fine, love him there. And then uh, Jamar Jefferson from Oregon State, who's your guy, seventh rounder, uh, just a, a mean, punishing, physical running back who's like 220, 230, somewhere around there, deceptively fast for his size. I look at all these guys together and I just think, man, these they want to be the schoolyard bully. And will they win a lot of games this year? I got no idea. It'll probably be less than eight wins. But every single team that plays them is going to be in the cold tub after because they are just going to get beat to shit. And you're going to have to earn wins against the Lions because they are going to drag every ounce of effort out of you with all of these dudes on the line of scrimmage that can just beat you up. Yeah, the easy win days versus Detroit are over. Are, are you going to get wins
0: versus Detroit? You are this year because they started in such a deep hole that even a draft this good, even a UDFA class this good, it's it's going to be like, we, we came so far. And it's like, yeah, but you started down here. And Lions fans, <laughs> unfortunately, are going to get reminded of that. But they are going to see a high effort team that is trying to coordinate talent and scheme and is going to absolutely under Campbell play a physical style. He made that very clear from the opening press conference, and there is no backing off that. And it's not like Aaron Glenn is some kind of finesse coordinator. Aaron Glenn would hit you as a player. He was not a defensive back that lacked in the tackling department. He is going to bring The heat, he is going to hit people. And you talked about Sewell. Sewell is a physically dominating offensive tackle. He is a guy that plays offensive tackle like a defender. He is going to hit and crush you when he gets the chance. He's also extremely young, right? He started as a fresh 18-year-old in the Pac-12 and was dominating as a freshman physically. And he's still he's not done growing. That's the scary part, right? (laughs) Guys like 20 ish years old, not 21, maybe when the season starts. Like, he's not even done filling out yet, and he's beating up guys like he is now. So. Barnes, I want to say covers really well between the numbers, not loosen the hips, but again, uses his size, uses his strength. And he had some really good tight end coverage reps at the senior bowl where he just draped guys and they weren't able to get open because of his length and his strength. So really excited that they're going to play him in the middle of the field. He does have that ability in those sort of five, two sets to rotate out as an extra edge rusher. He's shown skill there. Um, you know, Jamar Jefferson is a guy that, I'd you know, sort of bang the table for over and over again that just not enough people were talking about him. Like he's a really skilled player that was gonna always go in the late fifth, sixth, or seventh. That was always where he was gonna go. I think if he gets a chance to run, and I think he will, you know, he's not the same player as their starter. Their starter has a very different set of skills, but Jefferson has a nice complementary set of skills and moves extremely well for his size. He is not plotting in any sort of part of the word if you give him an opening he can stretch it and does often he had a lot of long runs at oregon state so guy that i absolutely think will make the roster and again kind of like the bears had a need for rb2 i feel like the lions really needed that rb2 rb3 to run in rotation and this gives them an extremely solid option at either one of those spots who who's going to provide some pop when he's in there he's not just going to sort of take carries and you know get your three and a half yards. He's capable of a lot more than that. So tremendous draft. I think with Anwazirike and Alim McNeil, they said they had a post-draft series where they talked about why they chose each choice and when. And with McNeil, it was really the drop-off. Like he was the last guy at that level, right at the top of the third round, that they felt like could play that penetrating style on the inside of the defensive line. They didn't feel like there was another guy that they really wanted to go after. That's why they chose him instead of some other players that were on their board at that level. But with the choice of both of those guys, it really felt like to me, I said during our live stream, feels like they're going to play that attacking, one-gap penetrating style on defense, right? They're going to line those guys up, they're going to slant them, and they're going to look for penetration for for Ramon Wizzarike and McNeil because that's what those guys are good at. They still have some size, absolutely, they're strong. You talked about that with Levi. But it really feels like they're not going to do the sort of classic three, four, set a guy in the middle, get two heavy fives and just kind of take up space. Feels like they're going to line up four guys on the line, maybe spread them out a little bit, slant and go through a single gap and see who can get in and blow the play up. Um, We'll see if that's the case or if they're sort of rotating those two. But playing them together, especially on passing downs, can be a lot of fun. They're going to bring some interior pressure uh, in Detroit
1: this year. And that's that's pretty cool to see. Well, how, how does this defensive line rotation sound to you? Trey Flowers, Michael Brockers, Romeo Aquara, Deshaun Hahn, Levi Onuzarike, Lee McNeil, Austin Bryant, Julian Aquara. Uh, yeah, let's throw John Penasini in there, too, just for good measure. Yeah, I'll take why it. why not? <laughs> like, I mean, come you know, on.
0: Aaron Glenn has <laughs> tools to work with, and you talked about <laughs> hockey lines, and that's something we saw in college scouting this year. We talked about it in the lead-up to the draft. That as you're scouting guys, you'd you'd see a guy for five, six, seven plays, and then he'd leave. Especially on the defensive line. He'd be in for five, six, seven plays, maybe two series, whatever, and he'd leave. And then you'd look, and all the other guys that were on the line left with him, like all the numbers have changed, the full forefront, and each line if you want they basically have two lines It's playing kind of a half right they're alternating either every two series or some schools it's two series with the lead line and then a, a series and a half with the backup line but the whole thing changes and that's a very common style in college and it's starting to get to the pros you're realizing that guys like Hakeem Hicks look they shouldn't be playing eight nine hundred snaps it just wears them down and by the end of the season they're not effective so you need rotations like this that are stacked with talent all the way across that you can kind of mix and match and say all right these three in go get them for six or seven plays all right rotate these three in you're fresh go get them you know and we're gonna see more pro teams add an extra sort of defensive line roster spot so they can have a couple of full lines and just rotate these guys so that you know their stars are getting five, five and a half hundred snaps, 600 snaps, not 900 because not it, to it,
1: mention, it's like, what if you're, what if you're playing against a team that, that really likes to spread you out and throw, you're going to want to play too high, but you still want to stop the run. So it's like, okay, well let's run some tight. Let's run some five Oh five. Like you're not going to, you're not going to use Trey flowers as a four. I like you're going to, throw in Brockers and Levi and McNeil to play tight or five Oh five. And then if you want to go four down, then you're bringing flowers out. You're bringing Romeo out. Like now you have the guys where it's like, if I want a three down package, I have my three down package. If I want a four down package, I have my four down package. If I want a four down, that's rushing. Here's, here's what I'm doing when I'm playing over. Here's what I'm doing when I'm playing under. Here's my third and seven, guys. Here's, here's my three down third and seven if I just want to play coverage. You have so many different skill sets in this front seven now. Not, not, not even getting into linebackers yet. You have so many skill sets in this front seven that you can do whatever you want. You're not locked into anything. And I think that's going to be the power of this Lions defense. And you know, Coach Vass always makes a good point of the coverage dictates the front, which means you can only run certain coverages or you can only have certain fronts based on what the coverage is. Like You always want to prioritize the coverage part of the call and then you have to, for the sake of having integrity in your run fits, you can only have certain fronts in these certain coverages because you still have to maintain integrity in your run defense. Well, if you felt like you didn't have the personnel to run the fronts that you need to run to match up with the coverages you want to run. Now all of a sudden you're compromising yourself and and you feel like you're hamstringing yourself as a defensive coordinator. Now you can call whatever coverage you want because you have guys that can call whatever front you need to call to justify that coverage call. If I'm explaining that correctly, it's hard to do it without visual aids here, but it's the flexibility that they have is phenomenal and i'm really excited to see what they do with it
0: it's gonna be cool to see them throw some some exotic stuff in there too because they they could go all light and wide right they could go back to that like if you're really throwing it back with the detroit lions like they they prioritize the wide nine front before like almost anybody right and, you know, you could bring in four light guys, spread it completely out, and you've got enough speed. You mentioned a couple of them, and like you said, we haven't even added all the linebackers. You could throw Barnes in there as well. You can run a, a four-wide light front versus, you know, four wides and be like, okay, beat us. It's a race. You get to <laughs> see if you can get that ball off in an arc before that guy gets to your face because we've got fast enough guys to do
1: it. And then all of a sudden you're going to – force teams to you know do inside zone and duo and run at you and all of a sudden they're like hi we got four yards on you and you're like if you're getting four yards of play we're winning keep at it yeah go <laughs> ahead we'll it, give you, know? you four yards of play all day because that's all
0: you're gonna get yeah no it's it's a new it's a new day in Detroit both personnel scheme and it's gonna be really interesting to see how quickly those things come together that'll largely determine how well they do this season. But in the long term, we're both really optimistic about the changes at the general manager level, the coaching staff at the head level, the coordinator level, and the, the talent they're starting to bring on. That's how you build the bedrock, right? That's how you build. And Detroit needed to. This was a. This was not a reload. This was a tear it down, start over, get to the studs, and, and figure out what we need to do. And they did a tremendous job in a short period of time.
1: So the outlook is much brighter, I think, than it's been in Detroit for a long time. And I mean, that 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 good vibes train kept on rolling with their UDFA class and they were one of the UDFA classes that we highlighted in our UDFA special. So again, we'll kind of go through this quickly because a lot of people have already heard this, but it does bear repeating, holy shit, this is a great UDFA class. Uh just looking at some of the names john adams jr from arkansas state who's a really good you know 50 50 ball receiver really more like 70 30 when he's involved um, I'll, I'll throw in uh the kid from wake forest sage surratt in there so you got two just big hulking physical jump ball receivers uh brock wright who's a very good blocking tight end out of notre dame he's like 270 280 so he's I, I use the term tight end loosely. <laughs> he's more of just a lighter offensive tackle, but he's uh, he's the old Dan Campbell special. He's a blocking tight end through and through. Uh, Tommy Kramer, who's a guard that you and I really liked. No idea how he went undrafted, but he's going to be a guy who I think can be a swing guard for them sooner rather than later. If we're, like I don't think he would start over uh, either of the guys that they have there, but if Tommy Kramer's your third or fourth guard you're doing okay uh Drake Jackson probably I, I this is the one I'm not sure because I don't know how many interior guys they'll dress every single week but I don't get the sense that Drake Jackson is somebody that they're gonna let even be uh, like possibly poached off a practice squad because he's too good you know he's somebody who should have been drafted and again in a weird covid year, some of these guys dropped for reasons that in other years they wouldn't have. I don't know what the story behind Drake Jackson's drop is, but he he's, shouldn't have been a UDFA. He's, he's undersized. Like that's the thing is,
0: some many teams in the NFL are gonna they're gonna have those thresholds and they're gonna look at Drake Jackson's size, both his his sort of length, hand size, and, and his overall mass. And they're gonna say we're not gonna start that guy inside against Giants, right? Against guys that are three thirty five. But Drake Jackson played in the SEC right and he kicked ass his (laughs) record in the sec of what he allowed for sacks over the entire time he started which is three plus years is like single digits it's like seven over three years don't quote me because that's not the right number it's ridiculously low and something like 1170 passing snaps he allowed like four sacks or something. It's, it's crazy. And he's the same size. Like he didn't get bigger or get smaller, right? He did that in the sec against all these guys that you know, the names of that are getting drafted to go on defensive lines all over the NFL, but yet he comes draft time and he's too small. So I was really surprised. He didn't get picked up just based on his body work on the field. He will need to get bigger to anchor against some of the, you know, absolute mutants in the NFL, in terms of interior pass rushers he's not going to start right away but as a udfa both him and kramer we watched kramer because we watched the entire notre dame offensive line kramer was a guy i was excited about last year and he decided to come back for 2020 super versatile can play guard can play center can play tackle in a pinch i wouldn't put him there but he's really good Like he ended up on that line being better than the other guy that got drafted at guard in that game. Like he kept sort of your eye kept going to Kramer, going, Man, look at him. He's moving his guy.
1: That's I I I have I'm sorry, I have to stop you, EJ, because I need for this for the integrity of the show. Uh oh. I need I need to correct you. I'm sorry. All right. Oh Drake Jackson played (laughs) eleven hundred and eighty nine snaps. Oh, come on. (laughs) You know how many you know how many sacks he allowed? one oh geez <laughs> he's right. even better I'm, than you thought
0: i'm i'm more impressed that i got close to the 1189 like four months yeah, after you, the draft you were, you were pretty close not gonna okay. lie all right now integrity restored <laughs> if you think that would do it you don't know what our deficit is but no drake jackson incredibly talented played in the sec against top level competition and people just look at him and go he's too small but you look at him and go yeah but he allowed one sack in 1,200 passing snaps. Like, come on. He's a good player. He will need to add some bulk. There are people bigger than he faced in the SEC. Not many, but there are some. And he's going to have to get in that strength and conditioning program and see how he can develop his body to really anchor against those massive bull rushers. But look, he's already played against top competition. It's not like he was scrubbing along in, in some you know, mid-conference in, in the NCAA. He was in the SEC. So Drake Jackson, tremendous guy to add. In UDFA, it's free talent. If he works out great, if he ends up being a rotational center for your you know, backup starter, cool, you got him for nothing. So a, a great swing by Brad Holmes and his staff.
1: Why don't we look at the veteran free agents they brought in? There's there's a few good ones here. Quentin Dunbar uh, on a one-year deal from Seattle, assuming that he's healthy. That was his big thing last year. Is he was playing on one leg basically the whole year, and you could tell. But when you go back the year before that, when Quentin Dunbar was healthy, he was one of the more efficient corners on a per snap basis in the entire league. He's a very good player when he's healthy, uh, so I'm, I'm rooting for him that that his that his knee's going to be okay because he's a really really good corner. Uh, they also brought in Randy Bullock. Uh, God, Randy Bullock is 32 already. Jesus, I'm old. Wow. <laughs> Uh, on, a, on a one-year deal from Cincinnati, that, I just saw his age on the list, and I was like, "Seriously, he's thirty? What? Holy shit! No, that's crazy." Uh, Alex Anzalone from New Orleans on a one-year deal. A lot of one-year deals here. Um, they also brought in Tim Boyle. They brought in Darren Fells, thirty-five-year-old Darren Fells is still chugging along, you know. But he's he's as long as he's going to be an effective red-zone target, he's going to get work, I think, because. Uh, that's that's one thing that Detroit really really needs is somebody who can actually catch the ball inside the ten yard line and score, which is what Darren Fells does really well. Uh, they also brought in Josh Hill because they're gonna have like six tight ends on this roster apparently. Tyrell Williams, uh, uh, him very similar to Quentin Dunbar. Health was the issue, not talent. When Tyrell Williams is healthy, he's another just big, fast, long boundary receiver threat that I think could be really productive for you. Uh Brashad Perriman's coming over from the Jets. Brashad Perriman's an interesting story where he went from bust to like good role player later in his career. Uh Kind of like once he got through his injury rows, all of a sudden he became a, a player that, that he's always going to find work because he's still fast and he still has good hands and it's almost like he's like a, a a reverse Torrey Smith, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, but I like Rashad Perriman. I think he's a good player. Uh, and then rounding it out, we got Chad Hansen, uh, another receiver out of Houston coming over for one year. So a, a bunch of kind of one- and two-year deals for Detroit. Uh, for me, this is basically them churning the roster, just trying to see what they can get. They're really more focusing their, their resources on drafting young players, re-signing the guys that that they have that they know they want to give big money to. You know, they just give Frank Ragnow that massive deal. Um, I I don't see them really spending on a premium free agent until they feel like the roster's in a spot where they feel like they can make a run, and then they'll try to top it off with, you know, a big-name free agent or two. So I, I think Brad Holmes is taking the right approach here, and in knowing that they're still a couple years away, and why bother wasting the money right now, but uh, overall, they picked up a a couple good players that I really like that are probably at a discounted price because they were playing hurt last year, and I kind of like what they did here. Yeah, we'll see how many of them they hit.
0: You see the familiarity with New Orleans. I like the Josh Hill ad. He's a guy that was almost a Chicago Bear in Ryan Pace's first ever deal, signed him to an offer sheet, and then New Orleans uh, notably matched and kept Josh Hill a saint. Um, Campbell's obviously familiar with him from there. And I, I think he can be a really good number two tight end. I don't think he's a lead. Obviously they have that in Hawkinson. They don't need an alpha tight end. They've got one of the best. Um, but Josh Hill's a nice ad again, player that he, he, all these, Uh, you know, coaches coming from other staffs are like, no, no, I know this guy, like he's good, right? He's got something that wasn't being used or he can fill that role that we need, which is exactly what you said, like patch it. It's, it's not long-term. We're going to sign him for a year or two. He's going to play this role for us until we can back him up with young talent or go get a premium if we need to at that spot when we're ready. For the most part, Brad Holmes is building from the inside out, which is an old NFL adage, right? They have made an absolute wall in front of their quarterback. Right now, we know who that is. I don't think without a whole lot of sort of unexpected success that that's going to stay stable. They're going to go get their quarterback of the future. But for now, when that guy comes in, whoever it is, they're going to have an absolute wall that's under 25 years old in front of them, which is a great setup for any offense, for any quarterback. It's going to help, going to help their incumbent starter. It's going to help The rookie once they go get him they're doing the same thing we talked about on the defensive line right they're stacking young talent two out of their first three picks in this draft young defensive linemen that they hope are going to be holding down that side of the ball for a long time inside out building the core of the team and they're going to start adding pieces they're going to take some lottery ticket shots and free agency like they did they're going to continue to churn that udfa process see if they can pick up other starters i think we'll definitely see guys that make the roster out of this udfa class um, especially in receivers like terrell williams if he's healthy i think he can be a starting receiver a because basically everybody but quintez cifas left their roster right they had an empty wide receiver <laughs> room it's quintez cifas standing there looking around if Terrell Williams is healthy, he can absolutely be a starting form. If he's not, maybe it's Perriman. If it's not right, they re-signed Khalif Raymond. They got Sage Sherratt to be their boundary threat. They, you know, they got John Adams. If he develops, he can be their big slot. Right? There's just guys. They're gonna take shots, and you're gonna see a ton of churn, just like you saw with the Seahawks when. Carroll started and John Schneider. It's something like 862 roster moves in their first year. You can check the math for integrity if you need to. That's close. insane. Yeah, no, it was ridiculous. I was like, how can you even have that many? And it was promotions and demotions and signings and tryouts and like it all. You know, they just were doing that, right? And they've they've kept that up, but it's definitely declined as they've you know built their team out. Detroit's in that phase where they're still building. You're going to see a lot of. They're going to take every opportunity. Every time there's a cut. At cutdowns, they're going to be grabbing a guy that's better than a guy on their roster because they
1: have one of the bottom five rosters in the NFL right now. But it won't be that way for long. Why don't we move uh, on to team number three in our division review, which is the Minnesota Vikings? Uh, They've—it's kind of a mixed bag for me. There's some moves that I really, really like. There's some moves where I'm. Not that I don't like them, but I'm more just kind of like, huh, okay, let's see how that works. Um, I think it's still a very talented team. I still think it's a very well-coached roster. If you told me today Minnesota is going to make it to the divisional round of the playoffs, I wouldn't bat an eye. I'd say, like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. Uh, I like their coaching staff. Uh, I love some of their young pieces. We'll see what the defense looks like because I think there's... It's not that there's holes, but there's questions. But if you told me today that they, they ended up as like one of the, the, you know four to six best teams in the NFC, I'd say, yeah, you're probably correct there. They, they are gonna make it that far. Uh, why don't we start off with our front office and coaching review? One of the uh, uh, really best examples, I think of stability in the league, of having, you know, good communication at the top between coaching staff and general manager Rick Spielman in year 10, Mike Zimmer in year 8. They've worked together for a very long time. Andre Patterson is the assistant head coach and co-defensive coordinator with Adam Zimmer, son of Mike Zimmer, who's the other co-defensive coordinator. And then you got Clint Kubiak, son of Former offensive coordinator Gary Kubiak so it's kind of a family affair uh, here in Minnesota. He is uh, in year three with the organization, year one as offensive coordinator. So it's it's a very—the uh, the one thing I want to talk about is this whole co-defensive coordinator situation. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I nope. don't know who's doing what. I don't know who has precedence with play calling. I mean, it's possible that they put that out there in the media of, like, who has seniority, who's who's doing the play calling, who's taking a lead on, like, game plan. I, I, don't, I, I have not been able to find any of that information. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying I haven't been able to find it. But I can't recall too many times where I've seen co-defensive coordinators. That's a very interesting concept to me. I'm not saying it can't work. I'm just saying it's very interesting to me that they're doing that. And as I mentioned before, you know, coverage dictates the front. So if Zimmer, who has a background in DBs versus Andre Patterson, who has a background as a defensive line coach, does that mean that Zimmer's calling the coverage and that Andre Patterson is then calling the front based on the coverage call? Like, is that how they're doing it? I have no idea. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen it before. I've it's funny because we don't
0: neither one of us react when somebody's named as an assistant head coach and and with the divisional previews, we've already gone through four or five of those, right? We had we had another one earlier with Deuce Staley. We don't we don't really blanch at all. It's usually position coach slash assistant head coach, right? And and that seems totally normal. And that's a we understand why that is in the NFL. It's Head coaches trying to elevate guys that they think are should be in the head coach candidate ranks um, with the assistant head coach title and increased level of responsibility and maybe they're not a coordinator maybe they're a position coach um, so that one seems totally normal but the co either offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator I've never seen it um, I've certainly seen you know offensive quality assistant or you know hey the quarterbacks coach is doing the the trends bit because, again, we've talked about it, quarterbacks at the I'll, NFL I'll see it level. with
1: offense sometimes where it's like, oh, we have a pass game coordinator, we have a run game right, coordinator. Right, but, but again, their distinctions, it's
0: not like it says defensive coordinator, front seven, defensive coordinator, secondary, or something like that. It just says co-defensive coordinator, and when I was writing it up in the agenda, I was like, okay, that's What does that mean? I've never seen that before. First time I've ever seen it. So it's an interesting alignment. Doesn't mean the defense won't work. Doesn't mean they don't have a smooth working relationship or anything else. It's just an odd designation. And the fact that half of that tandem is the son of the head coach
1: makes it all the more odd. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what my theory, again, I have no working knowledge of this. My theory is that Adam Zimmer's just going to be calling a coverage that he likes against certain personnel. And then Andre Patterson will then call the front based on whatever personnel's on the field to fit that coverage. That is my theory because Andre Patterson is a defensive line coach, has more intimate knowledge of the strengths of his guys down there, what kind of fronts that they can play and play effectively. And then he, he's also going to have to know based on certain coverages like, Hey, here's, here's my DBs that are involved in the run fit. What fronts can I call that involve these DBs in the run fit? That's my theory. I, I have no, I, I have no knowledge of that <laughs> if that's actually going to happen, but that's, that's the only way I can really think it would work. I, I don't know. Um, why don't we get into the draft here? Why don't we do that? We, that sounds like because that's something that we actually do know. Yeah. Uh, We got Christian Derrissaw as their first-round pick after trading down with the Jets. Remember, the Jets traded up for Elijah Vera Tucker uh, and gave up uh, some pretty high-value assets. And then uh, the Vikings moved down to 23 and ended up getting a player that I thought they were probably considering at 14 anyway, which is Christian Derrissaw to be their new left tackle of the future. Phenomenal zone run blocker. I think him across from Brian O'Neill. That's a hell of a young tackle tandem. He fits their scheme perfectly. Like when you watch uh, his ability to cut off the backside on zone runs when he was at VT, I immediately translate that to what they're going to be doing in Clint Kubiak's offense. It's a lot of wide zone type stuff, which makes use of that skill set for backside cutoffs. The stuff that he's able to do on the second level in terms of locating, changing direction, picking off linebackers in space. He's a perfect fit. Kellen Mond, who we've talked about endlessly seemingly on this podcast over the last five months, Uh, they kind of sniped him from Houston by one pick to, I don't know if it's like outright pushing Kirk Cousins or being a potential replacement for Kirk Cousins or giving Kirk motivation or whatever it is, or maybe it's the fact that they realize that if Kirk gets hurt, they are completely screwed. That I
0: think is probably closer to the truth than any other theory. You see if you if you visit any Vikings fan sites, there's there's the typical. like the backup quarterback is the most popular guy in town, right? Always is. like, oh, such gonna stumble and he's gonna be the uh, probably not. It's more exactly what you said. If Kirk Cousins goes down for an extended period of time, even two or three games, what are we rolling out? And and what have we been rolling out for the past really two or three years that is gonna allow us to possibly win some games, which with a very talented roster, right? Their their roster has talent top to bottom. It's it's not Detroit in terms of a roster. It's kind of the opposite of that. It's loaded up, they're ready, they should be making a run. But again, quarterback, most important position on the roster. And I think they just identified the vulnerability and said, ah, <laughs> I, I we're one ankle injury away from looking like also Rams because we just don't have anything legit at backup quarterback.
1: And, I mean, God, Kellen Mond is so talented that it's possible that if he gets in the game, if Kirk gets hurt, Kirk might not even get his job back. And that's nothing against Kirk. He's a really good quarterback. But Kellen Mond is... Big and mobile and has a cannon, seems to have a good head on his shoulders. Alabama got him a couple times because it's Alabama, but he's Mond has been one of those guys where he's gotten better every single year. Wouldn't surprise me if he took yet another jump in the NFL. Not saying it will happen, but if you're going to be investing a, a mid day two pick on a guy that worst case can win you a couple games, best case can end up being an upgrade at quarterback. Kellen Mond's the kind of guy you want to do that with. Um, A few picks later, 13 picks later to be exact, they got Chaz Surratt, the other Surratt brother at linebacker. Ironically, Chaz Surratt was dominated by Christian Derrissaw when they played against each other last season. Derrissaw just, ooh, man, you want to see a dead body. (laughs) Watch that game. North Carolina VT, it was was gross. Uh, Again, there's nothing against Chaz Surratt. He was going up against just a really good tackle, Christian Derrissaw, but you saw the lack of size work against him a little bit on a few of those reps. Whereas other points in the game, you saw his quickness and everything in space work for him. But man, if he's taken on, if he's taken on a guy like Christian Darius at the point of attack, it's not going to go well for him. Uh, Wyatt Davis, they took in the third round, another very stable kind of steady Eddie guard. Is he particularly great at anything? Not in my opinion, but I don't think he's bad at anything either. Uh, Patrick Jones, uh, late third rounder, I don't want to say he's a ball of clay because he didn't have the RAS score to justify that um, label. But when you watch him on tape, he is just energy, energy, energy. And if you could just harness that and and just kind of point him in the right direction, I think he could be a really, really productive player for you. Uh, Kenny Nwangu, there's no way around it. That was early. I, I think you and I could probably agree on that. That was that was a couple rounds early. I
0: was very surprised by that. I, I uh,
1: Kenny Iwangu was on our ball of clay
0: list because he's a tremendous athlete. I got pretty excited. He was late in my running back study. I went back and looked at the tape. There's not a lot there. He doesn't maximize those gifts. He's not a guy that has all the other sort of little glue things that great running backs have. So you've got a tremendous athlete who, again, get him in space, get him a lane, crazy fast, good size, really good strength, but he vision feet, decision-making that, that little thing that running back great running backs have of a little bit of hesitation, that timing of when to press and when it's kind of full speed ahead. If you know, there's, if there's something in his way, he's just going to hit it real hard. And then, you know, he's going to do it again the next play. It's not one of those guys that's super creative. So uh, the the fourth was kind of like, oh, OK, you saw something we didn't. Um, that's just sort of the way it is with some of those guys. Patrick Jones is funny because you were really hot on Patrick Jones, loved his play style. I was a little bit more loved his play style, but didn't didn't like some of the other things about rounding out his game. So again, just difference of interpretation. If if he can hit anywhere, it's Minnesota. Like Minnesota has a tremendous track record with athletic defensive linemen and developing them. So if I was Patrick Jones, I would be super psyched that the Vikings picked me because I have as good a chance to become the best pro I can be in the NFL. That's a great thing. Um, but right off, again, you know, round three, 27, like you're, you're running out of folks at that position because it's a high value position, but it still felt like, okay, like there were some maybe other better players, but they, you know, they like him and look, I'm not going to argue against their track record of developing those guys.
1: Uh, Cameron Bynum, I think uh, who was the guy they took six picks after no was another one where I was like, that seems early for me. Like when you, when you watch him in the senior bowl, it was a rough week for him. And I was like, Ooh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to save him for like one of my last corners that I get to. Cause I was like, I didn't really like what I saw at senior bowl and I didn't watch any of the games yet, but I was like, if the games look anything like that, he's going to be a lower, lower graded guy for me. And so I saved him for one of the last corners I watched. And then I saw more of that on the game film where I was like, that might be a safety or just a special team. I didn't really see a fourth round pick there. I, what's the word? It wasn't a, it wasn't a technical issue. Like you could see he knew what to do. He just wasn't sticky. And, and some guys where it's like, they're stepping with the right foot. They're punching with the right hand. They're just not sticky. It's, it's a, it's a pure physical talent thing to me. I didn't really see him as a fourth round pick. Again, not saying he can't be successful. I think honestly, I would convert him to safety uh and then have him play on special teams and see what he could do there i don't necessarily see him as a as a as a starting corner in the nfl like there's no like physical traits that i think i can fall back on like even last year i wasn't super big on dantzler but at least i could look at his length and be like well there's something you know i i don't see any traits with bynum that i can look at and be like well there's something you know uh janarius robinson complete opposite Traits on traits on traits on traits. I see plenty to work with with Roberts uh, Robinson. Excuse me, at Florida State, and I think uh, if there's one thing that that the Vikings love doing, it's taking super athletic, uh, raw defensive end prospects in the third and fourth round and just churning and churning and churning and seeing who sticks. Like almost their entire edge rotation at this point is made up of athletic mid round picks, uh, with Daniel Hunter probably being the poster child for that. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset, one of my favorite receivers in this entire class, also a special teams demon, particularly as a returner, one of the most dangerous returners in all of college football. He's going to be their jet sweep guy. He's going to be a deep threat. He's going to be a, 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 he's going to play on punt cover and punt return teams. Getting him in the fifth, I thought was tremendous value. Uh, Zach Davidson, one of my favorite tight ends in this class, one of my top three tight ends in this class. Absolute freak of nature athlete, 6'5 guy, low 4'6 speed, tremendous ball skills. Played at Central Missouri. So nobody really watched him because he just wasn't he wasn't a big name guy at a big name school, but he's very, very talented. And I promise you he's gonna make waves on this team. Absolutely should make the roster. And then you got Jalen Twyman who came into 2020 with a lot of hype. Um, and he's got really good splash plays, but again, the physical talent. I felt was a little bit underwhelming. I will say, I hope he's recovering well from his, uh, he got shot four times a couple weeks ago. Just, I think it was outside of his mom's house, if I remember correctly. uh, And just wrong place, wrong time. So uh, prayers go out to him. Hope he's recovering well. Again, I I don't want to like shit talk a guy who's recovering from getting shot. It's a miracle he survived. And so I'm, I'm really not trying to talk down on him. I'm just saying I felt like sixth round was a proper valuation for him as a football player. Um, and I hope he comes back and prove me wrong because he's a really good story. He's a good kid. Um, I've actually, I talked to one of his brothers, I think it was like a couple of years ago who said like, Hey, keep an eye out for, for, <laughs> for, for, for Jalen Twyman. He's going to be, he's going to be a player. And I, so I've been following him closely since then. At least I think it was his brother. It might've been his cousin. I'll have to dig through my DMS again. I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, but, yeah, I've been following Jalen Twyman for a while. I'm happy he made the league, happy to see him get drafted. Uh, really unfortunate to see what happened. I uh, hope he's recovering well, and I hope that he can be another one of these guys that goes to the Mike Zimmer school of shutting Brett the hell up and becoming a, a much better <laughs> player than he was in college.
0: What's what's admission to that school? I want to know how people Well, get so far,
1: uh, Daniil Hunter and Cam Dantzler are, are shining I, pupils. I told you about Dantzler. You just should have listened. No, I'm just saying I, he went, to, he went to the, the Mike time. Zimmer school of shutting Brett the hell up, and it worked. Yeah.
0: No, Surratt's interesting because, again, he lands with Eric Kendricks, right, another player that has a similar play style and and, and does it very effectively. I, I really liked Surratt. Yes, he has his limitations. You do not want him head up on somebody that's 300-plus pounds because he's still developing as a linebacker. He's young in the position, and he's learning, but, boy, is he quick and makes a— bunch of plays behind the line so i think with a guy like kendrick's he's got again an ideal situation to figure out how to work around those deficiencies and maximize the things he does really well wyatt davis was one of the players that a lot of people saw stuff with in this draft that i felt more midline about again i don't think he's bad at all i thought he was a little over hyped or overrated i thought he's a very solid player but very solid guards not terribly hypey people hyped up his bloodlines. People said, no, he's better than you think. And look, I'm absolutely ready to be wrong, especially on offensive line prospects. I'm always learning in that area. And, you know, he could turn out to be the best thing since sliced bread. I thought people's valuations of him, I heard like possibly even, you know, a late first rounder at one point, one of those guys that could sneak in. And I was like, I I don't see it. So third round felt, you know, solid for that bynum i saw the same thing we talk about guys that make money all the time at the senior bowl week we don't necessarily talk about guys that lose money or cost themselves money bynum is one of those guys he he came out and had a very flat week sometimes that's just a flat week you go back to the tape and you're like hey he had a very you know maybe he was sick maybe he was hurt he had a very non-representative week bynum wasn't one of those guys you go back to the tape and like you said you go that kind of looks like what happened on the field mobile um not great and if the Vikings have a strong track record of taking, you know, super athletic defensive players in the front seven and developing them, they don't have a super strong record at corner. <laughs> they are very hit and miss at corner. They've, they've had some high profile misses at corner, so I'm, I'm less likely to give them. Uh, leeway uh, selecting a corner than I am with a defensive line prospect for them. Janarius Robinson, crazy athlete, crazy size, untapped physical potential. Can't wait to see what, again, the Viking school of let's take an athletic freak and turn him into a force does with him. Um, Smith-Marset, super fun, super fast, underutilized at Iowa. Stop me if you've heard this before, Iowa skill position player <laughs> underutilized, um, but tremendous skills. One of those guys you turn on the tape and you're like, why didn't they throw to him more? Uh, cause often open, um, and again, great special teams play just a bolt. And if you look at the Vikings wide receiver roster, it's low key, not very deep, looks really good at the top. Thielen and Justin Jefferson, you're like, great starting tandem. After that, it drops off really quickly. Smith Marsette has, we talk about a path to playing time. Yep, he's got a pretty clear path to playing time. If he's what we think he is, he could be wide receiver four or five, especially since you need five and six if you're keeping wide receivers five and six on your roster to play special teams. He does in multiple phases. Like that's a perfect path to playing time for him. And he doesn't have that many guys to kind of beat out um, after those top two. Zach Davidson, pure athlete. Again, they moved on from their <laughs> tight end and long standing Kyle Rudolph. He's got some opp- opportunity to break onto the depth chart. Again, probably as a third tight end, but has some Untapped physical potential. Um, and then Twyman, yeah, none of the, luckily none of the gunshots were listed as life threatening. He was in stable condition right after it happened. But come on, you get shot four times, you get shot four times. That is not cool. And um, one of those guys that had great 2019 tape. And it's kind of like Marvin Wilson. If you watch Marvin Wilson from Florida State in 2019, you were like, first round pick. He's going to be a first round pick next year. Came out in 2020 and uh, didn't do that. Twyman was the same way. I watched his 2020 tape first because I was really excited because I'd seen the splash plays, I'd heard the hype, and I watched one, then I watched another, and then I watched half of a third one, and I was like, nope, it's the same thing. His 2020 tape was, was pretty underwhelming. 19 I went back to, I watched one tape, I was like, oh, <laughs> that looks like a different guy. So it really depends, again, progression's not linear, who are you getting? Are you getting the guy in 19, hopefully after he heals up completely and he's fine? Are you getting the guy in 19 that you can maximize the skill on? Did you get a value with that in the sixth round? Or are you getting the 2020 guy who kind of regressed for an unknown reason is going to give you really kind of average play, right? He's going to stand up in his gap. He's, he's not going to control the guy in front of him. He's going to get moved. Um, you know, which guy are you getting? And if they get the 2019 guy and they got that guy in the sixth round, Great job, Rick Spielman. Huge steal. If you get the 2020 guy, he's not going to stick on the roster, right? Not not for more than a year or two because he he just all those flash plays really or most of those splash plays largely disappeared in 2020. Don't have the explanation why. Just did like his 2020 tape was pretty average.
1: The the pit defense in general, I, I felt took a and. and the whole pit program. When we look at the pro day times across the board for all those guys, I was like, "Did anybody condition?" For this? <laughs> they were the like, they <laughs> were the opposite this year. Everybody
0: was running four threes this year. They were you know you get a four three and you get a four three and you get a four three and then the pit times came out and I'm like, "Who did they piss off?" That's what I think. That's the text <laughs> I sent you. I was like, "Who did the pit players piss off?" in the timer like, "Did they steal his girlfriend or something?"
1: Because it was it was it was you completely saw it the DBs. opposite. DBs were running 4-9. Yeah, 4-7, 4, like seven, four eight for Defensive linemen were like... running 4 Five five. We're like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, they, they had good players. I, I think the Pitt roster is
0: actually quite talented. um You know, we'd love to have Lewis Riddick on the show. He's one of our top guests, and we don't want to be bad in the Panther program. They had a lot of players. um Kenny Pickett's, you know, guy to watch at quarterback for the next year. They had some fun offensive players. They had some talented players on defense. One of their safeties I really liked. The other one ran an extremely slow time and, and didn't really show up on film for me. And then, the, you know, there was this mixed opinion about their defensive ends specifically. And, you know, Patrick Jones was the guy that showed flashes and was the more athletic of the two, much like a lot of the tandems we talked about last year. Um, but just sort of really up and down, I would say sort of uneven, both in pro day times and the tape, um, for a lot of those guys. Um, and sometimes you just see that again, it's, it's it just things not lining up in terms of scheme coaching, whatever, or just you know, sometimes you have an off year and then you get programs that are sort of on the other end of the scale that you watch their tape and you're like, that team's going to take off next year. And two of those teams are in Texas, just as a little spoiler. Like TCU, like everybody on TCU's defense is really athletic. Like I was looking up numbers left and right, like that kid's a redshirt freshman. Like, holy cow
1: like yeah he's well, not you, even you, he's not even listed and he's making plays um you throw and, a dart in texas and, and you're gonna land well, on some two star that runs four two like and the other one is crazy. a&m strangely yeah. enough
0: the other team is a and and m is absolutely loaded this year like their offense is going to be uh, yes they lost a quarterback in mond but <laughs> they have Two running backs who were looking to get drafted. They got wide receivers. They had, like their offensive line, the you know, the Maroon Goons, one of the great nicknames in all of sports, right? Um, <laughs> you know, th- that team is loaded with talent. If, if you're into scouting, you're gonna be watching a ton of TCU defense and a ton of A M overall defense and offense. They have a lot of players on both of those oh, teams. Man
1: just what we need more replays of texas a&m alabama when i'm watching draft prospects next year that's exactly what i know
0: it's gonna happen there are certain teams you're just like (laughs) "Ah, i'm gonna be watching this team 15 times this year if not more
1: not even that team that game 15
0: (laughs) times. yeah it's we've talked about this when you get to the part where you're mouthing over what the commentator said when you're watching (laughs) broadcast copy because you're watching the national championship game for like the 30th time, looking at somebody else, looking at that third safety for Clemson or whatever. You're like, and this is the part where he says, uh, you, you know, you're deep in the draft mire at that point.
1: Yeah. When you can literally time out Lane Kiffin throwing his clipboard 30 yards in the air because you've seen the game <laughs> 10 times. Oh, God. Anyway, uh, why don't we get to the uh, undrafted free agency additions for the Vikings? Uh, just a few... Of the more known names here, you got Blake Prohl, Ricky Prohl's son, by the way, Austin Prohl's brother. So there's now two Prohl brothers in the NFL, yep. at least for now. Uh, Ricky, their father of 17 years in the NFL, uh, probably probably best known for, for winning that Super Bowl with the Rams, right? I would, I would say I would that's think, a claim you know? to fame for sure. First thing I yeah. think
0: of is him in a Rams uniform.
1: Also, uh, is he still coaching, Ricky Prohl? I think he is. Maybe. (laughs) I'd have to look it up. He was. He was as of like two years ago. Uh, Let's see here. Sorry, I don't want to take the. the, That's all right. Follow this out wap failure from indiana
0: was a guy that i made big notes on last year again had a pretty flat 2020 campaign but you can say that for a lot of people we've talked about it It was an extremely weird year with covid um he underwhelmed for me uh, indiana wasn't tremendous on offense again had some highlights but wap failure didn't fill out many of them in 2020 he had some flashes in 19 that caught my eye when i was watching tape um interesting again to see what he's getting um And then, uh, Riley Patterson out of Memphis, the kicker, uh, you know, probably a camp leg, uh, but at the same time had really good success rates, pretty strong leg. So, um, one of those specialists that again, we didn't scout, but had a good record in college and, you know, could provide meaningful competition. You never know, uh, you know, kicker or punter pulls a hamstring can be, you know, a thing that lingers for several months and, and who knows, maybe that'll be the, the Vikings new kicker, but, um nobody else that really stands out on that list for me always fun to bring up a player from idaho right a vandal so edge player christian ellis who i have no idea watched no tape of idaho Um, they actually downgraded their football program but um, always fun when a vandal great great uh, mascot Makes the I, I
1: looked it up, by the way, and Ricky Prohl, time flies. He last coached in 2016 for the Panthers. Whew. So, that, so Because I, I remember he was the wide receiver coach when they were doing their Super Bowl run, mm. where their number one was like Ted Ginn, <laughs> and Cam was going Super Saiyan and, and carrying that team to the Super Bowl by himself. <laughs> uh, and I remembered he was their wide receivers coach. I, I guess he, he retired uh, retired after the 2016 season from coaching nothing needs the money hang out go watch your kids games right they're only going to play college football
0: once and if you're coaching in the nfl it's kind of an underrated thing you're not going to be able to go watch your kids games like you know not many nfl coaches besides bruce arians are like if you miss a family thing i'll fire you (laughs) and bruce arians has said that over and over again most coaches are like saturday we got a game on a sunday you're in the building right um so Maybe he just wanted to spend some more time and and watch his sons do what he did. And and if that's the case, more power to him.
1: Uh, Veteran free agents that the Vikings have brought in. A few pretty big names here. Patrick Peterson uh, was the big addition from the Arizona Cardinals. A one-year, $8 million deal, which considering the corner market these days, that's not bad. To get even a 31-year-old Patrick Peterson, he's not you know, the same Patrick Peterson he was three or four years ago. But $8 million for a solid starter, I think, is a very fair deal. Uh, they brought in Bashad Breeland on a one-year deal from Kansas City. They uh, brought back Mackenzie Alexander uh, from Cincinnati, who went from Minnesota to Cincinnati. Now he's back on a one-year deal. Uh, I guess to be their nickel is what I'm assuming, because Zimmer really, really liked him playing inside for yeah. them. So but we'll see. Uh, Steven Weatherly came over from Carolina on a one-year deal. I thought that was a really sneaky signing. Dalvin Tomlinson came back. That's a theme, right? Weatherly that's right. Was, he, was, he did Weatherly start are right.
0: We thought, hey, he's going to make the jump. And Carolina signed him. We thought, hey, that's a good addition with that super talented defensive line. And now after one year... He goes back and they get another one of those, you know, super athletic guys that they developed and, uh, you know, another
1: uh, prodigal son returns to the Vikings. I completely forgot he was on the Vikings. he went to carolina i didn't mention but christian christian
0: (laughs) jones is going back to the bears too because he was a bear and then he was a lion for. that's right he was yeah he's back to the bears again you see this more i mean there's so much movement in the nfl so many one-year deals that it's bound to happen
1: but a bit of a theme here with the vikings you know bringing back players that they're familiar with uh the two signings that i really like were dalvin tomlinson and sheldon richardson dalvin was a two-year uh 21 million dollar deal and a lot of, not a lot, some Vikings fans were, were kind of scratching their heads because they're like, why are we signing Dalvin Tomlinson when we already have Michael Pierce at nose tackle? Like, why do we need two nose tackles? And I'm like, well, why not? Like, what what's stopping you from putting Dalvin at three technique and dominating all but like four guards in the league at the point of attack and improving your run defense? Like, why is that a bad thing? Like why why not have Sheldon Richardson as your backup three technique? Like if you can afford it, do it. Like Dalvin Tomlinson's a great football player. I don't care if he's a nose. I don't care if he's a three. Put him on the field. He's really damn good. Like oh no, our run defense got better. Who gives a shit? Like just put him on the field. Like Uh, I I don't think you're
0: gonna worry (laughs) if you put Dalvin Tomlinson on the field. Like the only time I would worry about that is if you had a team that like statistically never ran inside like they just didn't do it they didn't have one run between the numbers all year right then dalvin tomlinson would seem like an expensive excess other than that like you're not going to be sorry with dalvin tomlinson on the field look at the division he's a very good football (laughs) player so for people that are sort of hue and cry about dalvin tomlinson signing like you added a very good football player who is going to control A pretty wide area and do it by himself you're not gonna have to back him up and he's just it's kind of like the Jalen Ramsey of the interior defensive line right you're just gonna say nope he's got it we don't need to do anything with that it's taken care of we can run the other you know 10 guys around him and Dalvin Tomlinson is that level of football player so again I People that are upset that he joined the Vikings. I'm like, "Uh, maybe just in terms of overall percentage of your salary cap in in the front seven or something. But other than that, like as a football player, no concerns. He's a really good, he's an excellent football player.
1: And and he's making 10.5 million a year. That's nothing. Yeah. Like you've got defensive tackles making 22, 23 million. He's making half that, and you're getting a top. 20 interior linemen in the league. Sure. Like, yeah, fine. Like, that's great. I, I, I don't know. I just don't understand the the hate for that pickup. It's people that watched the giants defense last year and was like, Oh, they're pretty good. I don't know how you can watch the giants defense and how good they were and then be upset that a football player that caliber is joining my team. But anyway, I, I digress. It's just a <laughs> stupid argument. Um, they also uh, brought in Nick Vigil from the Chargers at outside linebacker. I'm, I'm assuming that's just going to be a special team. He's not going to start over really anybody. He's not one of their four best linebackers, let alone one of their two best linebackers, so he's going to be a special teamer for them. Uh, they retained Amir Abdullah. They retained Chad Beebe, and then they brought over Xavier Woods uh, to play safety in a one-year deal. So right now their safety core is looking like Harrison Smith, Xavier Woods, um, I'm just going to assume that they're going to convert Cameron Bynum to safety and then Josh Metellus and that's, that's their safety rotation. You could do worse, but I do want to see some investment in there over the next couple of years because Harrison Smith is, he's aging and Xavier Woods is fine, but he's not a star. And then we don't, We don't know what some of the young guys are going to be. Again, we're just assuming that they're going to make Cameron Bynum a safety. We don't know what he's going to be yet. I would like to see at some point in the next two drafts them invest somewhere in that position group. But I think for now, at least for 2021, uh, it'll hold up. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I like Xavier Woods. I liked him coming out and he has, you know, he's a pro He's stuck in the league. He's effective, but he's not a game changer, difference maker. Harrison Smith is that guy, and they were lucky enough to pair him with a guy that, again, signed a big free agent deal and moved on, who was also excellent. So Minnesota fans are a little spoiled with their safeties over the past two or three years. And Xavier Woods, uh, solid role player, Um, not upset if he's on the field, but at the same time not counting on him to hold things up one-on-one, especially not deep, not really his strength. Um, you know, we talked about their inability or their hit and miss ability. Let's say to pick corners, pretty telling that they signed you know five corners in free agency: Peterson, Breland, McKenzie, Alexander, Ty Smith, and a guy I really like, Perry Nickerson, who came out of Tulane, never really done anything in the league. Um, but they signed five corners in free agency in a, in a low cap year. They're, they're, they're trying to make sure that they throw enough darts that they get what they want at that position. Um, because they have some stars, but not a lot of depth um again recycling guys bringing them back i would fully expect alexander to play in this lot breland i think is a sneaky good signing on the outside again kind of like a xavier woods not a not a difference maker not a one-on-one lockup guy but if you put him in the right positions which i think zimmer can do or the zimmers can do um <laughs> he's gonna produce pretty good results for you as long as you don't ask him to do things that he's not great at um so interesting approach The the roster is fine to quite good right they have uh feels a little bit like the cardinals roster last year that we talked about with a, a high upper crust of talent right dalvin cook you got cousins who when he's playing streaky hot is great we talked about two great wide receivers and then mm, some question marks they have a you know some question mark at at tight end um lots of defensive pieces to mix and match like this is a team that can make a run like you said if you told me they got to the divisional round I was like it all hit right it all gelled right they they got everything working in tandem if you told me that they bombed out and Zimmer's on the hot seat because you know cousins got hurt didn't play well whatever and they just kind of looked disorganized I I wouldn't be surprised and at that time I you know I know they love their stability in Minnesota, but it might be time for change because this is a talented enough roster to win a bunch
1: of games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, there has been an elephant kind of lingering over there in the corner for a while now, and uh, that elephant is green and gold, <laughs> and it's the Green Bay Packers. They've got a little bit of a pickle. <laughs> Not going to lie, so let's, uh, let's start us us That's the most this. Wisconsin thing maybe you've ever said. <laughs> They've got a little bit of a pickle. I'm not wrong. And not it's not even really a little bit of a pickle. It's it's a lot of bit of a pickle. And especially and we're just going to start off talking about the Aaron Rodgers thing for for the Packers offseason review cuz how can we not? I don't know if you saw the stuff that happened today with the, I the golf tournament and You think me a Bears fan
0: misses much of the hue and cry about the Green Bay quarterbacking situation?
1: No, I don't I don't miss much of that. And Tom Tom Brady bless his heart. <laughs> is just poking and prodding. That's the most, southern, that's the most and- southern thing you've ever said. <laughs> Bless his heart. Oh yeah, uh, Tom is. Tom is. Uh, we're, we're he's still, almost campaigning. He's campaigning to get Rodgers out of the NFC. We are. We are seeing a Tom Brady freed from the
0: Patriot Way in Tampa, who is getting hammered at the Super Bowl celebration, saying what he wants, going on. He would never would have done that barbershop thing on HBO if he's playing for Bill. No way. Not no not even close. Right. And now we see him out there and he's like, I'm going at that fucking guy all day.
1: <laughs> and Draymond Green's just
0: losing it. Right. We're seeing a freed Tom Brady who's like, I'll take open shots at Aaron Rodgers. Like, I'll take open shots. They're not even really veiled shots. They're just open (laughs) shots. Um, It is a different late career Tom Brady. It's kind of fun to see. But yeah, the Rodgers situation really, for me, it was pretty quiet. They did a good job of keeping the lid on it right up until Aaron Rodgers had enough of that and said, my leverage point is the draft. I'm going to do it now. And literally the morning of the draft, like San Francisco's putting together a package for Aaron Rodgers. And it was like, for I'm sorry, wait, for, for who? There's all this talk about Mac Jones and whatever. And now it's like the kid that grew up in Northern California rooting for the Niners, played for Cal. Like, they're, excuse me, what? They're putting together a package. For, I thought you said Aaron Rodgers. Is this thing like freaking out on me? And then it becomes this huge story, right? Schefter. I think it was Schefter. Was it Schefter or Rappaport? I don't want to... I always get him confused.
1: I think I think Schefter was first. Right. So Schefter dropped he was talking bomb. about... Yeah. Everybody yeah. says
0: 15 minutes before, watch Schefter on, on the NFL show. It's coming, right? And he drops a bomb that not only is Aaron Rodgers, you know, possibly trade bait, but there's deep unhappiness to the point where uh, Green Bay's front office structure is a little bit different than others in the league. They've sent all three levels out individually to go talk to Aaron Rodgers and try and tamp it down, try and smooth it over, try and, you know, amend the situation so that Aaron would come back. And I think the the take that I've heard that makes the most sense is Green Bay was sort of playing it down the line and saying, "We'll get him for one more year and then we'll transition whether it's to the guy we drafted in the first round or not, right? We'll do something next year." And Rodgers kind of did the record scratch thing and went does that benefit me? Right. That's yeah. your plan. That's all well and good. And they just assumed that he was kind of going to be the, you know, the good quarterback and line up and play his deal. And then they'd be, you know, they'd be moving on next year. And he said, my leverage is now, right. Yeah. How does that benefit me? It doesn't, I'm not going to do it. And they were like, wait, what you, you have to do it. You're under contract. And Aaron said, being the very independent guy, he is. Um, no, like, <laughs> I'm not happy, and I'm not going to do it. And so they're like, "Wait, wait, what?" And obviously, yeah. that's going to cause major seismic activity in the Green Bay front office, the fan base, whatever. Because as deluded as they may be, or as spoiled as they are, about having a long lineage of excellent quarterback play, and they basically went right from Favre to Rogers, and that is I'm not going to say unparalleled, but that is one of the longest play uh, stretches of excellent quarterback play in the nfl and so decades they're very used to it like very used to it they're they're entitled to it at this point they expect it right and you say oh there's a possibility that not next year that uncertainty is coming but right now like you're not going to get any more ever he's saying he's not going to suit up again there's uh all this seven stages of grief right there's delusion and and you know bartering and, and everything else. Like, you know, there's the whole bit, but people are like, ah, he's going to play. And there's still people saying he's going to play and he might, he might just magically report to camp, uh, of anybody. That's typically what I would say is going to happen with any starting quarterback. Like the money's good. And when the fines start rolling, like you're going to show up and play football as, as unhappy as you might be, it's still playing ball well for a lot of money. Uh, in a Rogers case, it is a lot of money. Right, so typically I'd say this is a whole lot of you know sound and fury about nothing, right? When push comes to shove, he's going to show up. He's going to play out his deal. He's going to tear up the NFC again because that's what he does, and then they'll move on. Rodgers is again late career. He's kind of doing what he wants. He's always been an independent thinker. He's always a thinker. He's always been one to say what he was thinking, um, and that's not been. Uh, the straight and narrow that a lot of football people would like to hear. He is a guy with other interests. He's a smart guy. He's he's very sort of self-determined. And if there's a chance that anybody would hold that line, I think Aaron Rodgers might be the guy. Um, it's possible. They just put water under the bridge and and as happy as they are. But it is also possible in a smaller percentage that Aaron does dig his heels in and says, no, I meant it. Go be a Jeopardy host. I, I don't care. If he's not being the quarterback of the Packers, I don't care what he does because he's not being the quarterback of the Packers, and that's kind of <laughs> primary. So he could say, no, I I said I'm not going to do it anymore for you. You're not serving my interest. I have leverage, and I'm going to use it. He's not hurting for money. He doesn't need it. Um, I think he's less worried about legacy. Especially right now, than a lot of other people. Oh, he's going to tarnish his legacy. I don't think that's really weighing on his particular. He, he, decision he
1: knows right he's going to the. He knows he's going to the Hall of Fame. Oh, for sure. But even then, he cares about more than football. Mm-hmm. He's he he has uh, somebody. Knows, uh, Shailene Woodley, who's I, I don't think he's married her yet. I think nope. they're still engaged. He adores her, mm-hmm. like a. Uh, Adores her, and she's she's not like a sports person at all. She's the anti sports person. She's like, oh, you do that sports ball thing, which is kind of funny. But he loves that about her. Absolutely loves that about her because he he gets to. Not everything's about football, and, and not everything's about sports, and everything. And he gets to just go to Hawaii and chill with her and Miles Teller, and go dancing and go hiking and.
0: Play really bad normal... acoustic
1: guitar songs at a party. Oh, I didn't even see that one.
0: <laughs> you didn't see the whole guitar guy thing. Like, uh, go look. No. Go, go look up like Michael like Junior's comments about like, look if this guy starts playing guitar at your party, you kick him out or
1: pour beer over his head. Like, oh no, I didn't yeah, see that. No.
0: but I mean, he does. He has other interests. He's you know invested guy. And the Green Bay leadership is not doing themselves any favor came out and said oh he's a difficult fella right just comments that are you know there's ways to tamp it down and there's ways to like stoke the fire and and they've sort of chosen the stoke the fire thing since it became public at the draft since it became uh, since the knowledge of the rift became very public and and how deep it was and how how far they'd gone to try and smooth it over um and how little progress they're making, right? He didn't report to camp. He there was some report that he might opt out, which he had the op- opportunity to do even this year. That deadline passed uh, today because of the holiday. was the official first official reporting day. Surprise, surprise! He did not opt out. Um, I don't think that was ever taken seriously. But like every little aspect of this story is being covered because it's such a big deal. And the reason it's such a big deal is pretty obvious. If Green Bay has Aaron Rodgers. They're forced. They're the favorites to win the division. If Green Bay doesn't have Aaron Rodgers,
1: they're in trouble. I, I have a theory, and just my last note on this, I have a theory that it's not really about the 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 you know the drafting a quarterback thing. It's not really about Gutekunst. It's not obviously not about Lafleur. He's fine with Lafleur. I think it's about Mark Murphy, hmm. because again, this is this is a guy who's got. I don't want to say ego. He's got um, he's got well earned respect for himself. Where <laughs> is, is that like a nicer way to say ego? that was that was approaching the backhand but pulling up? I'm just saying when when Mark Murphy allegedly said the words, "Don't be the problem." A guy that is wired like Aaron is going to say, I'm not the problem, Yeah, but now I'm going to be. Yeah,
0: fine. I won't be the problem, but I won't be anything else either. Let's see how you like it.
1: It's more, I'm going to be the problem for you. I'm going to go out there and play hard for my teammates. I'm going to be an MVP. I'm going to try to will this team to a Super Bowl. But you, Mark Murphy, I'm going to fuck your day up. Yeah. I'm going to drop that bomb on draft day. Like, I don't think it's a problem with anybody But Mark Murphy, because Mark Murphy told Aaron, look, we're doing this, sit down, shut up, accept it. Rather than working with Aaron and saying, look, we still value you. You're still, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You're still an MVP caliber player. You know, we have to do this because you got hurt a few times and the team tanked without you. I hope you understand. We're only as good as our worst player. Don't take it as anything personal. We still love you. No. Mark Murphy said, you don't be the problem. You sit down and shut up and take it. And that lack of tact doesn't work well with someone like Aaron Rodgers. It just no, doesn't. It's worked famously poorly so
0: far. And, and that is, <laughs> like, the the front office has, has poured more gas on this fire than they probably needed to. And, yeah, Aaron Rodgers has, again, I, I think what you let off with, it, you know, he has well-earned uh faith in himself right from based on demonstrated ability he knows what he is he knows how good he is he knows how many of those games he turns on his own talents right not by himself but in those moments the guy's got to throw the ball yep somebody's got to be there to catch it Adams is really good at that but very few guys can throw it when and where he does consistently and he knows that it's based on, again, a long body of work. He knows his value. He knows where he's uh, ranked currently against other players, which is right up at the very top of the quarterback ranks. Um, and he's willing to use that leverage to say, I'm going to use that to my benefit. Don't tell me it's all about the team at this point, right? I'm, I'm happy to help the team, but don't tell me to just take whatever the team says, because that's probably the Honestly, it's probably one of the worst things you could have said to Aaron Rodgers, right? Just shut up and take it. He was like, what did you just say? Excuse me? No. (laughs) I don't have to. And I think you're right. Whether it's Murphy, whether it's Cutie, whether it's all... It doesn't really matter. Whatever it was has been exactly wrong. And we're at the point where we're even talking about this as a as a possibility whether or not it happens um it's it's dominating offseason headlines so you, you brought it up with the broncos right they still think they might get him it's possible um it's fascinating because he is one of the very best players regardless of position in the NFL currently and his situation even like leading into training camp i would say is up in the air not resolved is a fair way to say that
1: Well, with possibly the longest intro to a team we've ever done and ever will do, why don't we finally, at long last, get to the front office and coaching staff review. Uh, Brian Gutekunst going into year four. As general manager, Matt LaFleur in year three as head coach, one of the most successful first three years for any head coach in the history of the sport, to be honest. Now, a lot of that has to do with who is his quarterback. So when and if Aaron does eventually move on, we'll see if he could still work his magic uh, with Jordan Love and or any other quarterback. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett is also in year three at OC as LaFleur's right-hand man. And then Joe Barry, Coming over to be the, uh, the the defensive coordinator now in his first year with Green Bay, uh, I think it's for me the the jury is still out a little bit on Gutekunst as GM. I like Lafleur as head coach. I like Hackett as OC. We'll see what happens with Barry at DC. Um, I've I've Gutekunst is one of those guys where it's like he'll do three things that I love. And then one thing that I absolutely hate. Hmm. And so I, I really, I want to get on board. I want to be, you know, driving the, the Gudukun's bus. Um, but every now and then he'll do something where I'm just like, really? <laughs> really? My ratio is not the same. Uh, You know, every
0: year we've talked about this Packers always draft a couple players that I had crushes on or I really like, and they end up being Packers. Aaron Jones was a guy as as undrafted free agent who was headline of my UDFA team. Of course, he ends up going to the Packers and being great. Darnell Savage was a guy that I absolutely loved. He ends up on the Packers, right? It always happens. So, so we're aligned somewhat Goody and I there, but it's more like he'll do two things I really like. One thing I'm kind of like, okay, it might work out like I I just didn't see it. And then two things where I'm like and it's usually kind of lower end, which if you're going to do those things, bottom of the draft is a place to do them. Occasionally he'll do them in the mid rounds. And I'm just like, huh. like and then those guys bomb out and it's like, what did you see or what what led you? What combination of things said that that was a good idea then? Um, that's the nature of the job, the nature of the position, but there are things you go through and, and even this draft, right. Top of this draft. Yeah. Uh, as you go down, like a couple of guys and then the very last guy you got, like, woo, he was on my offensive gems list. Like we, we agree that that was a value pick, but there's some stuff in the middle where, you know, you're picking say
1: Royce Newman in the fourth (laughs) when there's other people on the board. And I'm like, Or or you're 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 taking Eric Stokes, who's a fine player, but it's like I'm. It's like okay, Devin Jenkins is there, Elijah Moore is there, uh, Terrace Marshall's there. Like, you know, they still got Amari Rogers, which I think smoothed that over a little bit. That's one of those
0: picks that I'm like, that's one of those two I really liked. I was like, yeah, that's that's
1: that's one of the three moves that I'm like, great, awesome. Totally agree. And then you look at it, it's like, oh, we re-signed Kevin King. You're like, fuck, come on. Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the the experience with
0: the Packers GM is, again, we go down. It's like you, you talk about it. Eric Stokes, their, their record at corner is mixed. You mentioned Kevin King. We liked Kevin King's selection at the time. Hasn't played up to potential, and then they re-signed him. Stokes, we hope he's great. Look, at the other corner, they're really good, right? You got a really good player at the other corner. So he hit some. Josh Myers, a guy I liked more than most people. I was okay with him. It was a bit of a need pick. They'd moved on from their very good, you know, borderline all pro center. Uh and you know, is Myers gonna be that good? No, I liked him more than most. Two, you know, round two, pick 30 a little richer than a lot of people had him. A lot of people had him as a third rounder or a lower. I like him. I think he'll be good. Again, they have a track record of developing those players. It's kind of a wait and see for me. So Stokes is kind of like, again, the value cost of who else was there. Eh, nothing against Stokes. Good player. Uh, Myers. Okay. Bit of a need pick. Amari Rogers. Great value. Fills in a hole better than anybody they currently have on their roster for slot. Like you, I think Amari Rogers is the starting slot for green Bay right away um you know he they has have, to be they have yeah, nobody he, else <laughs> right exactly so path to playing time double thumbs up mario rogers will be on the field uh royce newman uh, in the fourth like end of the fourth we're into you know supplemental picks but uh, again with some folks that were still available i hope I, apparently they really like him uh to daryl slayton from florida oh,
1: okay like I had a, I had a priority UDFA grade on him. So yeah, again, that was one of and those moves. Again, like, yeah. We're
0: talking about end of the fifth. So in a weird COVID year, maybe you could justify it, but it was not a pick in any way that I was like, yeah, great value. I was like, okay. Um, you know, Shemar Gene, Charles, I really did like from Appalachian state. That, I, I,
1: I was all on board with that. That is great. So again, here's the,
0: we have the column a, which we like, we have the column B, which makes us scratch our head. Shemar Gene, Charles. We like Cole van Lannen. Um, good value where they got him you know end of the sixth like if he turns into a you know serviceable swing tackle which i think they can do um great isaiah mcduffie no uh, okay i had him as a special teamer you know he's special teams yeah, yeah end of the sixth and then kylan hill like okay you're coming through for me. like back to column a love yeah. kylan hill's explosiveness and playmaking think that um you know i again, his path playing time's not great. He's RB3. Like, gear and freaking teed as long as their their first two stay healthy. He's RB3. He's a really talented RB3. If if Kylan Hill is your third running back, like, you're doing just fine. So, again, it's this mixed bag of I'm excited and what in the world are you doing or why did you do that that early? Um, and I think it's kind of always been that way. This isn't a, a weird draft in that way for Goody. He's... That's his M.O. I'm not at all surprised by how I feel about this draft being sort of all over the board.
1: Uh, I do want to touch on those first three picks real quick. You know, you mentioned Amari Rogers. He's absolutely going to be the slot guy. What I also think he's going to be is the jet motion guy for sure, sure them, because for a while, you know, they had Tyler Irvin do it sometimes and Jamal Williams do it sometimes that Aaron Jones do it sometimes. Uh, but now I think. Having a dedicated slot receiver slash jet motion guy, so you can do all that stuff out of 11 personnel and feel like you still have a the a good group on the field, uh, I think is going to be invaluable, not just to their pass game, but to the run game too. And so I they think they might line see, him up as a
0: runner too, because at, I wouldn't be at, surprised. Even yeah. at Clemson's Pro Day, they worked him out as a running back because he's, yeah. he's built super solidly and he has
1: those skills. So, tremendous value pick on. All those fronts. I was pissed. And again, full disclosure, I was pissed that they passed on Elijah Moore. I was like, what are you doing? But when they got Amari Rogers, I was like, okay, that's, All they're right. going to play the you same kind guy. of role. They're okay. They're okay. Yeah. Uh, Josh Myers, because uh, they lost Lindsley, I felt like this was a good pick for them. For a while, I was like, okay, they're just going to move Jenkins to center because he can play all the interior spots, but now taking Myers, I'm like, okay, well now Jenkins is going to stay at guard and you put Myers at center and you got, you got a pretty good interior trio. I still think they need tackle help, uh, particularly right tackle help. So I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't go after Tevin Jenkins in the first round. I felt like that would have been perfect for them, but, uh, Josh Myers, I felt it was still a really good pick for them at the end of round two. Um, Eric Stokes, I, I didn't want to pat, uh, you know, kind of blow by that pick too quickly. I like Eric Stokes. Really good press corner, great speed, physical uh, physical guy. I didn't feel like he was even the best corner on Georgia's roster. I personally thought Tyson Campbell was better. Um, and I felt like the Jags who got Tyson Campbell in the second round got a better player in the second round. Not by much. You know, Eric Stokes was still in my tier two of corners. Tyson Campbell was kind of in the back half of my tier one of corners, but in a vacuum, especially considering the style that I think they are going to play under Joe Barry. And this is just me looking back at when last time he was a DC over in Washington, I have no idea how much that's going to translate because since then he's worked under Wade Phillips. He's worked under Brandon Staley. I don't know what kind of stuff he took from both of them. If he took anything from them at all, I have no idea, but just based on what I saw from the last time he was a DC, I felt like Tyson Campbell would have fit a little bit better because I felt like he provides a little bit more versatility uh, as a zone coverage defender. I felt like he has better ball skills, um, better length, but still also offering the ability to line up and play press and everything like that. I would have gone with Tyson Campbell. This is not me saying that Eric Stokes is a bad pick or that he's a bad player. Just personal preference based on the style of defense that I think they're going to play. I would have gone with a different guy. So uh, it, overall the draft was a mixed bag. I think you 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 put that nicely. It wasn't bad, but boy, I felt like it could have been better.
0: Yeah, it did feel like they left some things on the table is probably the best way to describe that. And I don't know about you, but with corners maybe with all positions, but especially with corner, it's a feel thing, right? You get a feel from watching their demeanor on the field. It's not just how they play, like the technical skill you talked about, where they place their hands, where they place their feet, when they turn. Those are all things that you can pick up, but it's it's attitude. It's, uh you know, how do they show up late in games, in big situations. And you just kind of develop as you watch their film and you watch their testing a feel for some guys. And some guys you have a really good feel about, and some guys, you just don't feel as good as the consensus seems to to tell you that they are. Um, you know, Jair Alexander, right? I loved that guy based on his state Like, I was like, wherever he goes, I don't care what system he goes to. Like, he, he's he got the it factor. Talk about it factor for quarterbacks endlessly. For corner, you, you need to have an it factor, right? You gotta have a short memory and you know, just be that guy who wants to have the ball thrown at him all the time. Jair Alexander was that guy in spades athletically, very talented, but he had every bit of demeanor, right. And Stokes, super athletically talented, you know, famously ran in the four twos. And I think that just sort of brought everybody's eyes up and, but I didn't get the same feel from him on the field. Again, solid corner has length, has speed, can be physical. Um, you know, technically pretty good, right? Not too many holes in his game. I didn't get that feel from him. Like he just wants the ball thrown at him all the time. I could be wrong, right? I'm not saying he's a bad player. He's not a bad player. I liked his tape but he wasn't one of those guys that i put in the top handful and said give me this guy put that guy on my team because it
1: wasn't like a jc Horn. like the w- the the attitude that jc no, Horn lined yeah, up against devonta smith not even the attitude close. that stokes it's it's you you got to be a little crazy yeah. to be an alpha corner yeah. in the nfl absolutely and uh, you know
0: again i think stokes has all the tools and could develop into a very good starting outside corner in the nfl which is what he was drafted to be you know, did I have that feeling about him coming to the draft again at the end of the first round? Like this guy's a first round corner for sure. No, no. A second rounder. Yeah. He just played in a very good secondary. He was one of the leaders of that secondary, not the leader necessarily, you know, great physical talent just didn't have that feel. And it's feel that you develop after you sort of spend a bunch of time with these guys and, you know, I hope that he develops into a very good corner, and you know that's what I hope for all of these players is that they maximize their potential. But he wasn't; it wasn't like they picked him in the first round, and I was like, "Damn it, he was one of my guys, right?" You know,
1: I was like, "Okay, go ahead, take him." <laughs> uh, why don't we get into their UDFA class, which was um. Again, it was one of those things where it's like, it's okay. Like, they got Christian Upall from Illinois State. It was that's, a safety that I that's liked. That's the guy.
0: That I mean, in this um, class, I think that's the guy.
1: There wasn't anything else really to write home about, in, in my opinion. You know, it's Jack Heflin. It's Carlo Kemp from Michigan, who I had a, a UDFA grade on, so I guess that's proper value if you want to say that. Koy uh, Kronk from Iowa. I didn't even get to watch him. Bailey Gaither from San Jose State. Uh, John Dietzen from Wisconsin. Dietzen actually did have a day three draftable grade on. So them getting him as a UDFA, I felt was okay. Uh, and then Jacob Capper, also from San Diego State. They do love their San Diego State uh, Aztecs up in Wisconsin. Uh, but yeah, Christian Upoff is really the one that I think is, is if you had to ask me who's actually going to stick on the roster all the, out of all these guys, it's, it's Christian Upoff.
0: Yeah, for sure, he had some buzz as a heightweight speed prospect pretty early in the draft pro in the process. He didn't test well, actually, not near as well as people thought he would. You look at his play on the field; super well built safety, great size, uh, easy translation to special teamer right off. But could play his way into a starting role as that sort of swing, uh, big safety dime backer closer to the line. Like I-, I can absolutely see him playing that role. Um, he's got a couple of decent role models on the roster in front of him. So up off was definitely the headliner and the rest of the guys, you know, we'll see they have success with less heralded offensive line prospects. They've got a couple of those, uh, here, um, wouldn't be at all surprised in three years to see one of these guys starting and everybody's saying, Oh my God, he's so good. <laughs> Because that's what happens with unheralded line prospects that yeah. go to the Packers. They it's it's like Minnesota and defensive line prospects. They develop those guys. So I would not be at all shocked to see one of those names in their starting five uh, a couple of years
1: from now. And people saying, "Oh, he's he's in line for a big free agency deal." In terms of veteran free agents, they brought in. I, I mentioned the re-signing of Kevin King for five million, which was a thing that happened. Uh, Devondre Campbell they brought in from Arizona as a honestly Devondre Campbell might actually get some playing time here. I don't think that that's just a backup or special. Team no. or I think he I think he might actually get work here. Uh Blake Bortles to be a uh, backup to either Aaron Rodgers or Jordan Love, I guess we'll see. Either way, it's a little bit of an insurance there. Um Bortles is I, are we are we officially calling him a journeyman now? Is is this is this is now his status? I think Did, so. It, is it wrong that I called him that when he was in Jacksonville? <laughs> oh God, <laughs> that's brutal. Uh, and then Mercedes Lewis, thirty-seven-year-old Mercedes Lewis. This is the story of deals. free agency, right? The immortal Mercedes Lewis,
0: thirty-seven years old, at a position where athleticism is is still valued. Last I heard, tight end, they they care about that sort of stuff. Thirty seven years old, he gets a almost six million bucks for two years. Um, <laughs> you know, more power to him. I you know you can go out earning that kind of money doing what you love. You keep doing it, Mercedes. That's that's pretty cool. But overall, pretty underwhelming free agency class. Didn't have a lot of flexibility with the salary cap. Um, King, the biggest addition, but it was only five million bucks on a one year deal, um, and everybody else is just. Plug a hole, right? They brought in three quarterbacks, Bortles, Bankert, and Dolagala. Um, you know, devondre Campbell, probably the one that maybe gets the most playing time. Maybe it's King, I don't know. But um, nobody here that's really shifting the meter in in any way except, hey, we we need some guys to fill some roster spots. And, you know, if
1: the worst case scenario happens, we need some bodies to throw a training camp for quarterback. Well, uh, Inevitably, Eric Stokes is going to have to tackle Mercedes Lewis in training camp at one point. And do you know how old Eric Stokes was when Mercedes got drafted? Seven. He was seven. He was a first grader when Mercedes entered the NFL.
0: Yeah. He God. First grader at seven, he, he got held back. But still, he was playing, he was playing peewee football. Hey, with hey, hey,
1: whoa. My mom <laughs> said I'm very special. Thank well, you very much. I think you're very special, so I guess your mom and I agree, but... <laughs> um uh yeah
0: i think we should turn to talking about uh some of the folks throughout this entire division which is really interesting that our best fits for best ball fantasy with underdog our lovely primary sponsor um there's a bunch i don't know about you but the thing we talked about with aaron Rodgers uh definitely is a factor in selecting folks for fantasy right if aaron Rodgers is there their value skyrockets. If they're, if he's not there, their value is a huge question mark. Doesn't mean it's bad. Could be good. That's, that's the way fantasy works, right? Sometimes when you're playing from behind and you're throwing for a lot of garbage yards, it all works out. Um, but it's a huge swing in, you know, guys like Devonte Adams, uh, yeah. Aaron Jones, you know, if you're going down the roster and, you know, you want to pick so Lazard, like, I wouldn't do that if, if Aaron's not there. I wouldn't do it if Aaron was there, but that's just me. Um, so, I don't know. I had a big swing.
1: Um, who'd you pick? Who was your first one? So, I got uh, Darnell Mooney, and I, I kind of, you know, put my stake in the ground early. It's like, Darnell Mooney is going to be on every single team. I don't care what format. But especially in best ball, he's going to be on every single team, not just because he's a great player, but also, I need my team name to be Show Me the Mooney. Oh, lovely. I know it's top tier, it's I, elite it, tier it fantasy. It is. Name. You
0: should get you know 15, 20 points a week just for that. <laughs> that's that's good stuff. No, Mooney is. I, I had to pick one of the Chicago receivers. Mooney was. Uh, Mooney is a sweetheart of. Uh, the fantasy community like he is one of those guys that is primed to make the sophomore jump and regardless of who's throwing him to him he was open more than he got hit last year um there are you know there's the famous now famous video of him toasting Jalen ramsey and being open by a good five or seven yards and you know the ball being thrown fairly wildly over his head to dalton's to the bleachers yeah, yeah. dalton's probably going to hit that right And Justin Fields will definitely hit that. So uh, Mooney is just in a really good place. Surprised everybody last year and how good he was, how quickly. Um, He's, I think, solidly the number two option on the receiving core. And uh, I'm not going to argue
1: with you putting on all your teams. Like, uh, yeah. And remember, in best ball, because there's going to be up weeks, there's going to be down weeks, but the up weeks for Mooney are going to be up because he's got sub 4-4 speed. He's got great hands. They really prioritized the quick game and working him underneath last year because that's just what their quarterbacks could do. Like, Foles was a better deep ball thrower than Mitch in basically every single way last year, but it's not like Foles was great. No, I was
0: like, but barely. He's definitely better, but
1: if you look at how much better, it's like he's still pretty average. But you put a guy like, it doesn't matter if it's Dalton or Fields out there, they can actually hit Mooney 30-plus yards down the field, and take advantage of his speed, take advantage of his route running ability, he's going to blow up. He's going to have some weeks where he's getting 30-plus points. I guarantee it. At least two weeks this year, he's going to have games where he's getting 30-plus points. And you're going to get credit for that. That's, that's the beauty of best ball. That's the beauty of underdog is you don't need to guess what week is going to be the Allen Robinson week, what week is going to be the Dave Montgomery week. You can have them all in your team. Doesn't even matter. You're going to get credit when they pop off and eventually they will cuz I think this Bears offense is going to be pretty damn good. Um and you have Allen Robinson as as your first Bears yeah, receiver. Yeah, I had to pick one, which makes sense.
0: I I had to pick Allen Robinson. We just talked about Blake Bortles, we forget that Blake Bortles was uh the best quarterback that alan robinson has ever played with god he has that's really sad it, it, it's terrible oh, you look man. at the 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 i'll just say roster of quarterbacks uh <laughs> the, the role of quarterbacks that he's played with they've all been bad like he's never had even a good solid middle of the road quarterback like like Andy Dalton he's gonna get that at least this year and if what we all think happens happens sooner rather than later Justin Field gets on like Allen Robinson is so freaking good he is physical he's a technician he can win down the field he drops very few passes he can win underneath like he is a complete wide receiver and he has never had the benefit of even average quarterbacking and he's still produced even with that clown show of folks throwing him the ball like he still is tops among receivers in terms of you know fewest drops in the red zone uh most routes run open like you you throw a stick at a wide receiver stat Allen robinson's in the top 10 every year he's really really good he's committed to his craft he stayed healthy strong um The you know the knee injury was a a one time thing. It hasn't nagged him. Uh, Very rarely misses games. What is he going to do with like average quarterbacking? And if he gets great quarterbacking, like Justin Fields is a very good deep ball thrower, Robinson can get open deep and he can win the contested catch. I think he's primed to be either quarterback or both quarterbacks' best friend um and and largely first option in the Chicago offense which I think is going to be better so robinson's my guy could have been mooney could have been robinson either one of the top 2 is, is
1: you can't go wrong i just watched the bears uh falcons game the one where they came back in like last 5 minutes again i was like man that game shouldn't have even been close nope. like it shit should, shouldn't have been and there's been a
0: couple close. of robinson catches in the third quarter in that game
1: where you're just like
0: what
1: yeah no. it's insane <laughs> he's crazy yeah um, my second guy is Irv Smith jr. The new starting tight end for the Minnesota Vikings with Kyle Rudolph moving on. And I see Irv Smith as basically the new Owen Daniels in this type of system. Hmm. Not the biggest dude, but you move him around a lot. He can be a big slot for you. He could be a move tight end for you. He could play in line for you. He's not even, he's a better blocker than Owen Daniels was. Um, But he's also more athletic, and so I think he's going to get a lot of manufactured touches just by the nature of this system, and virtually every single tight end that plays in a system like this has produced a lot because of manufactured touches. You look at Jonu Smith getting endless, you know, shallow crosses (laughs) in Tennessee, in a similar type of offense, you look at—I mentioned Owen Daniels. You look at George Kittle. Although George Kittle's like a different breed of tight end, but still, Kyle Shanahan at first was like, "Hey, I have a tight end that runs four six. Let me just get him the ball in space and see what happens." And all of a sudden, he's leading the league in yards after catch. This is a this is an offense that gets the tight ends the ball underneath in space with yards to run. He's going to get a lot of yards after catch. Not entirely sure what he's going to do in the red zone because he's not the biggest dude. But I think in terms of volume of catches and volume of yardage, he's going to be up there among tight ends this year. And especially an underdog, you're going to get him late. He's not going early. So if you're looking for a value tight end this year, Irv Smith is your guy. And I think he very well will be on most of my rosters. I've been trying to target him, but people know that I like him, so I get sniped a lot. Um, I was doing a... uh, um, uh, best ball mania draft, which by the way, best ball mania is their three and a half million dollar tournament. So if you use the promo code down in the description below Brett on, uh, again, underdogfantasy.com you can get $25 to use on the platform and conveniently, uh, an entry into that contest is $25. So you basically get a free entry if you want to, if you win, it's a million dollars to first prize. I happen to still be able to play because I'm not an employee of underdog, so I can still play. And I was doing a best ball draft and, um, with my followers and literally all of them knew I wanted Irv Smith and they took him like three rounds early just to piss me off. I was so mad and they took Terrace Marshall from me. They took Elijah Moore from me. It was miserable. I ended up with a normal looking team because all my normal guys that I wanted to get, like I, I you know, I ended up with like Devonte Adams and Aaron Jones oh, because they were taking dudes like they were taking dudes like two, two rounds early just I to know. fuck with Occupational me. Occupational like, hazard,
0: really? man. Occupational I know, hazard. I know. So, uh no i like herb smith he had some highlights uh again sporadic right and and best ball is not gonna harm you for that if you're trying to put herb smith in your lineup every week traditional fantasy it's not gonna go super well for you he's not a top producing tight end and you'd be better playing you know a flex wide receiver but if you've got a best ball he is one of those guys that you know Kirk Cousins is a streaky quarterback. He runs hot and cold and he loves his tight ends everywhere he's been. He's hit his tight end. So Irv's going to produce and he's moving into that primary tight end role. He's he's primed for a decent year, but it is going to be up and down. Doesn't matter. It's best ball. You're okay. Uh, my second is DeAndre Swift running back in Detroit. Uh, look, we talked about that massive line. They built massive, young, strong, powerful line. Um, they're going to want to control. They're going to want to be physical. They're going to want to control their opponents. You do that by running the ball. You've got great offensive line talent. DeAndre Swift, very talented runner. Uh, a coach who wants to use him. Um, and you know, if they do get any leads, <clears throat> they're going to want to control the clock, right? They're not going to want to get a ton of shootouts. <laughs> if if they get leads, if <laughs> if right. Uh, you know, and this can go, the, the argument can go the other way for Jared Goff, right? That they're going to be behind a lot. Jared Goff's going to be chucking it up. I get it. But I think DeAndre Swift, very good runner. And the other thing is he's one of the true sort of single running backs in the league, running back by committee, even with three running backs is really popular around the league. There's a lot. I mean, look at Baltimore, have three guys that can, that can take shoulder the load right so which one of those guys do you get well matters a little bit less in best ball but if you can get a guy like deandre swift who is the clear number one at the position behind a big offensive line you're going to get almost all the production he's he's not going to be a guy that that fluctuates a ton you're gonna get points from deandre swift every week he can catch the ball as well super fast one crease you get 70 yards and a touchdown. He's that kind of lightning strike player. So lots of reasons to pick DeAndre Swift uh, for your fantasy team. Uh,
1: My third is Amir Smith-Marset, also from the Vikings. We mentioned him earlier in the draft review for Minnesota. Uh, He is a last-round pick in every format. Not not just best ball, every format. But in leagues where you get credit for return touchdowns, and especially in leagues where you get credit for return yardage, uh, regardless of format, he is going to be a monster. And that is the, 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 the same line of thinking of, you know, in a dynasty league many years ago, I drafted uh, Tyreek Hill when he was coming out as a rookie. Cause I was like, well, he's going to be the main return man in Kansas city. He's also a deep threat. Uh, they can use him as, as, you know, a jet sweep guy. Same kind of profile for Amir Smith-Marset, where he's going to get carries on jet sweeps, he's going to get all the return duties, uh, and he's going to be a deep threat, a complimentary receiver to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. There are going to be some weeks where he's putting up three points. There's going to be some weeks where he pops a return touchdown, he gets 60 yards receiving, maybe gets a couple carries, all of a sudden you look up and he's got 17 points. Again, he is a last-round pick. He might only come into play and actually score for you a few weeks. But in best ball, that's kind of what you want. You want somebody that maybe can get you double-digit points a few times here and there and, and put you over the top in some weeks. For sure. High-variance pick, but the special teams
0: thing, probably going to come into play uh, at least once this season. Uh, My last one is TJ Hawkinson. That's right. I picked two Lions. So all those Lions fans that say I crap on Detroit (laughs) all the time, I picked two Lions players. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, very talented, tight end of Detroit. He's sort of right under the top tier of tight ends, poised to break into that sort of elite group of four or five at the top. He has the physical talent to do it. And look, he had a good year last year. He had 723 yards, six TDs. That's a good year for a tight end. Um, that's not, again, one of those top three or four guys. Goff's going to be looking for stability. He's got a brand new wide receiver core. Um, All these guys are new to him because he's new to the team, but a lot of these guys are new to the team as well. So they're all trying to figure out how to work with each other, how to work within the offense. Lots of new learning going on. Quarterbacks love a good outlet tight end, and Hawkinson is that and more. Goff completed... 58 balls for 948 yards and six TDs last year to the tight end spot. Not to Mm. one tight end. That's Everett and Higby combined. But 58 for 948 for six scores in L.A. Hawkinson's better than either of those guys by a damn sight, right? Yeah, more talented than either one of those guys. And if you just kind of consolidate that into a single position outlook with, again, golf looking for stability and familiarity – hawkinson's prime to move to that top tier at tight ends if if hawkinson has a year that's 60 catches you know 950 yards and roughly the same tds almost exactly the same tds six tds even seven or eight if he gets a couple more red zone chances which he could totally do he's that player he can go up in the red zone and get it like that puts hawkinson in that top four or five like statistically easily and in, in, in that conversation easily. right he's he's going to be mentioned the same breadth as as kelsey and kittle right that's so he's that guy that could easily have that happen with you know prior indicators saying it's not only possible it's somewhat likely so Hawkinson's is going to be tougher to get He's certainly a popular tight end in that second tier, but still a lot of people will be thinking, oh, I had 723 yards. There's wide receivers I could get. Now, nah, don't be thinking about 700. Be thinking about eight or 900 with a similar number of TDs and then think about it and then draft them accordingly.
1: And even then, good luck finding many other tight ends that are getting 700 yards to begin with. Like, that's not a normal thing. There's the a shelf, to get. right? It's the yeah. top three or four, and then it drops off pretty significantly down into the you know, 600,
0: 500 yard range with a varying number of scores. So Hawkinson is one of those few guys that has the variance to legitimately jump into that top tier this season.
1: Why don't we talk uh, top and bottom of the NFC North? Who do we think out of all four of these teams is going to finish uh, as the division leader? And who do we think is going to finish at the bottom of the division? Not saying that they're going to be a bad team, but somebody's got to finish fourth for me. It depends on Aaron Rodgers, which I know is a cop-out, but it is. No. If Rodgers leaves, let's just say in a couple months he is a Denver Bronco, it's hard for me to pick anybody other than Chicago to win this division. Not that I don't like Minnesota, uh, and not that I don't like what Detroit is eventually building. And, and I think all of these teams could steal wins off of each other, but I think Chicago would be the clear favorite. But if Rodgers stays... I refuse to bet against him. I just do. I don't care how good Justin Fields is as a rookie. Doesn't matter I'm not. I'm not betting against Aaron Rodgers.
0: Now, it's top tier, right? This he is elite. He is elite amongst the elite. He is at the top two or three quarterbacks and you can argue is the top quarterback in the entire league. Most important position in the sport, best player at that position. That is the kind of guy that can swing a team's fortunes. Yes, it's a team game. Doesn't matter. We were talking about this before the show, that if he does leave Green Bay and you take that level of talent elevation and dump it on, like, Denver's roster, you know, it it is a game-changing variable. If Rodgers stays, it's Green Bay. I'm going to gamble and say Rodgers doesn't. He holds to his word. says, I'm not. And at that point, it's a two horse race between Chicago, if they can figure it out and Minnesota, if they can play up to their talent, right? They've got enough talent easily to win the division. I'm going to lean on Chicago. I'm going to say that Andy Dalton's going to play for four to maybe six weeks, even if he gets hot. Justin Fields is going to roll in. And no matter how well he does, we look at how well Justin Herbert did last year, broke all kinds of rookie quarterback records. LA didn't win a lot right they they didn't stack wins the roster is very talented in chicago naggy is uh i think a better head coach than the chargers had last year at least in terms of offense and there's a ton of weapons there's a lot of ways for him to win games and if he gets competent play from the trigger man in that offense Chicago could have sent. Also, their defense is very good. Chargers defense had some injuries last year that were pretty notable and kept it down from its typically sort of world-beating status. So everything kind of lines up. I'm going to lean towards Chicago. I'm going to say Aaron leaves. Chicago wins the division for the first time in a while. Um, And Detroit you know is fourth in the division again building but they're starting from the real bottom they were starting from the basement floor they've made great moves they're going to surprise they're going to steal a couple of wins for sure just because of campbell and his style of coaching and aaron glenn sort of stabilizing the defense they're going to steal a couple wins they're still not going to stack as many as everybody else in the division maybe save green bay if aaron goes and the whole thing well that's
1: what i was going to ask you Who's if if aaron's gone if Aaron's going I think Detroit's still uh, still in the basement because I don't know. I don't know. I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't
0: bet any serious money against Green Bay having a first to worst fall because it is going to be it's the kind of thing where a team can fold but they still have way more talent than detroit does on both sides of the ball that's going to get them some wins no matter who's playing quarterback and detroit would really have to excel like golf would have to play well early the system especially on offense would have to gel because it's brand new brand new quarterback basically completely redone wide receiver core um you know some changes on the offensive line as well. They're, they're, you know, it's all talented, but they, those guys still have to learn how to play together as, as a five, as a unit. Um, so they just have a lot, they have a lot more barriers to overcome obstacles to overcome. Green Bay's used to winning. They know how to win. And they got a lot of
1: talent. I will say this. If Aaron leaves first or worst,
0: I, I think I th- wouldn't shock I me at all better.
1: because it's going to be
0: such a shock to the system, especially after the extremely sustained run of high quality quarterback play. It is the kind of thing that can crack a team and they could fold. And if a team folds, all bets are off. Like they, they mail it in for the back half of the season. Cause they're like, forget it. We just can't win like this. And the veterans check out it. It happens like teams lose faith in, in the plan, the leadership, the play calling, whatever their ability to win. And, you call it momentum, you call it whatever we want. If, and, and again, Aaron is such a positive force. He could also be a tremendously negative force in that team could, it could crack or rally, but even if they rally, um, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, they and green Bay, but they just, they have so much talent. I'm going to say that they finish with a better record than Detroit almost no matter what,
1: because they, they got a lot of talent in green Bay. All right, we got got to do a beer bet on that then. Although it's a conditional conditional beer bet if Aaron leaves. No, it's totally, it's
0: absolutely agreed for the terms. If Aaron leaves, you say that Green Bay finishes behind Detroit. I say if Aaron leaves, Detroit still finishes last, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if it's a sort of reverse horse race for the bottom with, with Green Bay and Detroit. Just Detroit loses out by a nose at the end.
1: Oh, deal. All right. Uh, what do you say we get out of here? Cause we are three and a half hours into this one. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's sleep to be had, but no, we knew this was going to be long.
0: <laughs> we knew we have a ton of fans from the NFC North. Uh, obviously a lot of folks that follow me follow Chicago. Uh, Brett is a newly minted Chicago fan and, and always a Chicago lover. Um, you know, this is a popular divisional preview was our most popular divisional preview last year. Uh, I doubt anything different this year a lot of interest in the division tons of storylines so you know three plus hours there you go you're welcome uh we love you all (laughs) Uh, couldn't be happier Uh, all of you from all over the globe fans in the u.s fans that love the nfc north canada england brazil everybody's been supporting the pod in off this is the doldrums of the offseason right nfl reporters are on vacation right now and we're getting between 10 and 20,000 views on YouTube for divisional preview pods. You all are showing up in force and we we just can't thank you enough for that support. It is tremendous and we love producing this comment. The comments on YouTube have been pretty spicy over the last couple of weeks. That's <laughs> been fun. Uh, yeah. Tried to drop in and, and give you some good answers there, but uh, everybody's showing the support. We, I just want to let you know we're feeling it. Um, it powers us through these long podcasts, and we could be happier about making them for you. So uh, keep enjoying them. Keep sending in suggestions. We've had a bunch of fan suggestions already um, this year that we've added in, um, and you know I'm sure there's more good ones out there um, love the interaction in all the forums on Twitter. Uh, make sure to check out the bootleg store. If you're really feeling the podcast, go get yourself a t-shirt, a mug. Uh, it's a perfect time to get yourself a nice Imperial pint class that you could fill up with a cold beer, hot summer. Um, I guess that's not inclusive for our Southern hemisphere friends, but you know, you you'll use it eventually (laughs) when the seasons turn but uh yeah go over to uh, bootlegfootballpodcast.com check out the merch we've got over there pick yourself up a t-shirt or a glass or a nice beanie like the one brett's wearing uh if you happen to be in the southern hemisphere and it's cold um but no love all the support and all the forums it's been a ton of fun and we'll be back next week with afc north
1: yeah Yeah. okay i was like have we done both of the norths yet okay so we're doing afc north which is going to be
0: equal amounts of fun because there there's a ton of storylines there so hang on for that one but we're going to get out of here for here go get some sleep water food the other things we need to keep living besides football and uh go from there
1: yeah uh thank you again everybody for watching we'll see you in a week and until then later take care